the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast podcast. It's Friday, January 14th, 2022, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America. Steak for breakfast. So stand by. Yeah. Check this old fly shit out. Word up. Cash rules everything around me. Cream, get the money. Dollar, dollar bill, on the crime side, the New York Times side, staying alive was no job. At second hands, moms bounced on old men. So then we moved to Shallon Land. A young dude, you're rocking the go to low goose. This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. You can find them at manrubs.com and on Instagram, Man Rubs. Rubs barbecue tools, blow torches, t shirts, coffee cups, all around barbecue related gear for you to make barbecue great again. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off your order. Also brought to you by Stay Ready Gear. StayReadyGear.com and on Instagram, StayReadyGearUSA. Holsters, custom Kydex, mag carriers, tourniquet carriers, on and off duty gear, hot melted Kydex, mm. custom images, just for you. Use the code STEAK for 5% off. Don't get ready. Stay ready. You know, the humblest of pillow farmers will be speaking this weekend at the Arizona Trump rally. And uh, if there's one thing he's concerned about more than speaking at said rallies, it's making sure that you have the best night's sleep ever. My Pillow now partnering with Steak for Breakfast, offering promo code STEAK at checkout for big, big savings. And over to the website, mypillow.com forward slash steak, or talk to a more than qualified pillow representative at 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear sits upon Noah's head. Facts. Looks high quality. Facts. Sounds delicious. You get what you pay for. So whether you're potty, gaming, recording, worried about the cream, you're definitely going to cough up a little of it for Odyssey, but you're going to take care of your ears just nice. Odyssey.com, Facebook and Instagram as well. Mike, down at West Coast Survival Arms, has been servicing Southern California for over a decade. He's got a five-star rating. He's a licensed FFL. If you're into tradesies, most importantly, he's got ammo. A lot of specials on the Facebook right now. Check him out at westcoastsurvivalarms.com. On Facebook Messenger and via the telephone, 619-870-6992. All of our uh, first responders are working hard right now. And our friends down at Mediocre Medic wear Mediocre Medic while they're off duty. Sweatshirts, t-shirts, fanny packs, flip-flops, and more. They've got stickers and patches for when they're uh, serving the public and saving lives. Got a pretty fire IG as well. Find them at MediocreMedic.com. And finally, the top tier of tactical flair can be found at Dumpbox. Mark Joe Friday, owner-operator, CEO, American owned and operated. If you don't know who uh, Zero Fucks Duck is all about, you can ask Mark on Facebook Messenger. You can find them on Instagram as well and at dumpbox.us. Friends, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast. There you'll find a link tree that'll take you to our social medias, the website, our Telegram, and more. And on that note, welcome. Friday edition, Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 99. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. Antoinette's logged on. What's up, guys? 
We're going to have Cash Patel joining us in a little bit. And uh, we're bringing back a couple uh, guests to the show today. One joined us last week. You'll know him from the Patriotic Meme Alliance, Mr. Mostly Peaceful Memes. Thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast today. Thanks so much for having me on, guys. It's our pleasure to bring you back and joining us for the first time. Also a member of the Patriotic Meme Alliance. Also one of the highest ranking and uh, most fire memes out there on IG. Grand Old Memes, thanks for joining us today. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Thanks for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure to have you guys both joining us, and uh, we'll start off with Mostly Peaceful. Thanks for coming back. I guess you had such a great time last week. Uh, you decided to come back and do it with us again this week. Yeah, man, it was super fun. It was good to know uh, I wasn't that terrible. So <laughs> appreciate you guys having me on again. Oh, we like the uh, insight and commentary you brought to our news cycle, which we're going to be doing with you again today. And then uh, for our listening audience to hear for a first time, getting to know the man behind the memes as well. Grand old memes. Thanks for joining us. Why don't you uh, tell our listening audience a little bit about yourself? What's the uh, method behind the memes? Why do you do it? And uh, how much fun do you have trolling everybody in the beltway? Well, um, you know, for people like me and most memers, I guess uh, our, our best form of, or our, our modus operandi is uh, to express ourselves through, uh, you know, images and, and, uh, you know, uh, reference that way, as opposed to, uh, you know, tweeting or, or podcasting or YouTubing or, or whatever. Uh, so I, I guess that's our, that's our best, uh, uh, tactic to use. Uh, some people, you know, prefer other methods, but that's our most effective weapon. I feel like, um, <clears throat> for me, uh, I started about two years ago. And uh, it's just snowballed into what I what I'm doing today, um, which is, you know, putting out content for uh, everyone. I'm I'm blessed and honored that uh, I have so many people that follow my work, and it's just uh, it's been an incredible ride. Yeah, it certainly has. And and, and I'll ask both of you guys this question. You can answer however you both seem fit. Um, did you Did you ever think when you started, you know, memeing and, and turning these real life impactful political items and, and real life world items like let's just say COVID for example into the top tier memes that you guys have that they would be getting retweeted by like members of Trump's inner circle and, and featured on news programs on a weekly basis well uh, I, I guess I'll answer that yeah I, I had no idea you know um, I, I was just you know the reason I started my my page was uh, you know I, I joined Instagram and I started following politics uh, back around when Trump got inaugurated and um, I just started seeing all these pages like reposting content and I and I thought to myself you know why are these large accounts uh, just recycling the same content you know uh, we need to like where are all the creators and all this uh, so I decided to start a page for myself and uh, start creating content and uh, it's just, uh, I've picked up some, some people along the way who's, who've been doing the same thing and we've been helping out each other and, uh, that's, that's where we are right now. So, uh, yeah, I had no idea it would turn into something like this, uh, where, where people are, you know, such an integral part of the political conversation atmosphere. Uh, I had no idea. Yeah. I had made, I had made a living off of shit posting before you guys came around. And I mean, all the way up to affect me and like, you know, I've been passed up for, for promotion based off of shit posting before. <laughs> Noah can verify that. That's yep. 100% fact. But, you know, mostly peaceful. I'll, I'll ask you next. You know, did you ever think you, you see this taken off the way it has to where like, I mean, you kind of denied the fact that memes can sway a little bit of the news cycle last week, but you said you take it. You know, I keep watching it right now. And 
listen, I, I think a big part of the whole COVID narrative getting blown up in the United States now has to do with a lot of the research that you guys have done and the way you've crafted memes to kind of really expose some light on the situation and, and bring into fact things that people were losing accounts for two years ago. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I definitely never saw it taken off. Um, like I just, uh, just always been a shit poster online, especially like Reddit and stuff like that. I was actually just, uh, DMing a guy earlier about like, we were reminiscing on how great the, uh, the R Donald, uh, thread on Reddit used to be. It was a great and, thread. That was the best. Uh, it was so much fun, especially too, with like all the, uh, like liberals that would come in from like our politics and try to like brigade the brigade it and all that stuff. Like, so like, uh, I miss, I miss those, uh, those fun times on the internet, but, uh, yeah, I just, I got started cause I was, uh, yeah, I would just always post stuff online, like Reddit and stuff like that. And then, uh, yeah, I just, uh, I just kind of followed Richard Rapboy when he was kind of starting mm-hmm. and, uh, would just DM him memes and stuff like that. And like about a year ago, he convinced me into starting my own, uh, own account and, uh, yeah, I guess it's it's taken off pretty well. It still like blows my mind. Anyone follows me or uh, takes what I say seriously. Yeah, well, I'm I'm telling you what, you guys have more of a of an influence than than a lot of people uh, on some of those major news channels right now. I think that's definitely out there. In the amount of viewership has has decreased so much. You know, there was reports this week that over ninety percent of CNN's audience, eighteen to thirty five, is you know, abandon them, not saying that anybody who might track our memes except to see over them follow and, and, and have left CNN, but people are definitely waking up and maybe looking at the other side right now and saying like, hey, the memes are definitely spicier on the other side for sure because we all know the left can't. Yeah, I definitely think like with, uh, you know, you're kind of seeing stuff kind of starting to crack and spiral a bit. And, and it's kind of like those times where you kind of, I think people start kind of, getting a getting a glimpse of kind of, you know kind of the <laughs> propaganda machine that's going on in the background and you know kind of start you know kind of start thinking to themselves uh this doesn't quite add up and kind of i think memes kind of help amplify that through humor well yeah i mean what what i what i think you said about the uh the covid narrative how the memes are attacking that uh you know there's a lot of censorship obviously and uh, memes kind of cut through that in a way. I had a meme yesterday about that, uh, about attacking the COVID narrative and all the censorship, because, uh, you know, the out al- these algorithms, they can't pick up on jokes the way that the human mind can. So right. you can see it differently uh, in, a, in a joke form. The algorithm won't even understand it as a COVID knock. Um, and then even more so, if you don't add any words to your to your image, then uh then the algorithm has no idea how to interpret that uh, if it's just, you know, uh, interpretive uh, by, by a human. So uh, I think there's there's a lot of utility in memes, actually. Yeah, there certainly is. And, and believe me, you guys are figuring out the ways to get those memes out there regardless, because when I go to tag you guys on social media, you both suffer from two of the larger shadow bands up there with us. You have to type in our entire name on our main account and then it kind of just like thanks for a second and then it'll show me our icon when i want to share stuff and and you guys are just about the same i think i have to type in just about all of your guys names on 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 both accounts to be able to tag you guys in memes as we do all all day every day well i appreciate you uh you know typing the whole name out i know (laughs) (laughs) i know that takes some extra effort so some people think i'd probably i think i'd probably just give up like (laughs) share it (laughs) 
well, like, uh, you know, I'd love to tag you, but uh, it's like 15 more syllables. We don't, we don't <laughs> want to take credit for anybody else's uh, craftsmanship. <laughs> well, it was a busy back end of the news week, and we're going to jump into it now. We got some audio clips. You know, we, we've been covering the never-ended COVID narrative forever, what seems now, but over the course of the last maybe 10 days, we've seen a lot of that narrative getting blown up, everything from the actual deaths and, and the information that they're starting to put out there all the way down to where, you know, the virus originated from and, and, and what was behind that. We learned last week in a Project Veritas video um, that, you know, the gain-of-function research uh, concerning the coronaviruses was so much of a hot topic back when it was proposed uh, agencies like DARPA and, and the Department of Defense said, you know what, a little too spicy for us. And that was when we're finding out now that people like Dr. Fauci and the NIH and the NIAID uh, jumped right on that. And, and, and said, fuck it, we'll do it live. Yeah, basically pulled his best Bill <laughs> O'Reilly and, and went for it. Uh, last week, uh, or, or I'm sorry, on Tuesday, and circling back to that thing we covered a little bit in our Tuesday edition of Steak for Breakfast, was that hearing we had with Dr. Fauci, and the only clip I'm going to play from it this week happened after we recorded and Senator Roger Marshall confronted Dr. Fauci on the findings of that Project Veritas report. Let's hear their back and forth now, mainly because Dr. Fauci's crying the entire time. And, and we all know, if you listen to the show on Tuesday, he was he was very uh, offended at the the Rand Paul. And it says on his website, uh, fire Dr. Fauci, donate here. And that <laughs> makes me mad. $5? $10? $50? What is this? So, and that became... <laughs> one of the best templates that, I, that I've seen available in a while. I know you guys all ran with it, and uh, let's hear his back and forth with Roger Marshall right now. Will you commit today to release all records fully unredacted by the end of this week so Congress and the American people can know the truth about NIH's of COVID-19? So, again, Senator, it really pains me to have to just point out to the American public how absolutely incorrect you are. What came out last night on Project Veritas was a grant that was submitted to DARPA. Then it distorted and said, DARPA. we funded the grant. We have never seen that grant, DARPA. and we have never funded that grant. So once again, you are completely and unequivocally incorrect when you joined the DARPA proposal was a grant that we never saw and Dopper. we did not fund. So you are incorrect. Our social media will have all the supporting documents and we'll yeah, be supporting but, uh, these Senator, the record well, as well. You are, you. You're backing down on this? Why don't we go and look at the very Veritas statement? They were talking about a grant that was submitted to DARPA. Are you saying this said, was not? Are you saying that this was viral gain of function research? I'm telling you that you're saying. Are that you saying that this DARPA was grant? not viral gain of function research? By the definition that you are very well aware. Yeah. Your P3CO together, definition is you know, just a legalese to get away that allows you to do the viral gain I'm of function talking about, studies. Senator. Senator Marshall, if you'll please allow the witness to respond. Senator, we know, and the misinformation, that the guide rails for what can be done or not were not established by me. They were established by a three-year process led by the Office of Science and Technology Policy of the White House. And decided by you in a secret meeting at the White House in Senator, December of 2019. Uh, Senator, that is incorrect. And this refers exactly to what I was talking about Maybe in response to Senator Rand Paul. Duh, you are incorrect 
completely. And every time I try you to keep explain, saying you're incorrect, but the facts are on my side. So why, why will you not commit to sharing everything Marshall, open, unredacted with this Congress? So, so well, here's when, when you got a moderate Republican from Delaware, or I'm sorry, Maryland, getting that fired up about Dr. Fauci and his lies, it's pretty eye-opening to say the least that thanks to Project Veritas now, a lot of the things that we've could only assume, even though the receipts look like they were leading back to it now, show and pretty much prove that, you know, this gain-of-function research was scooped up by Dr. Fauci and who's head in the NIH and um, probably funded with American money to do these Frankenstein-like testings and, and experiments in the Wuhan lab in China. So what do you guys hear when you, when you hear a senator kind of like peeling the onion back on that and watching him squirm? He even circled back to, uh, now you're starting to sound like Brand. Paul, you keep quoting this Darper. Darper. <clears throat> First off, uh, great impression. Thank you. How, how much? How much time have you guys spent? Uh, spent working on that one? So, just several come, episodes. Come, yeah, we've come been, naturally. We've been doing the show for about two years. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's the only time Touché. I do it. Yeah. Um, I I just uh, I think it's I think it's pretty interesting and in, like telling just the. The amount he's, uh, you know, just trying to kind of like avoid the question and stuff like that. It's like, oh, yeah. all right, if it if it wasn't funded, then then release, you know, release the documents then, because then it would would show that it wasn't funded. I just but, think he sees know, he sees four hundred fifty thousand dollars flying out of his pocket if he gets fired. Yeah, I you know that's a that's another interesting thing is the the salary he pulls and you know I've just talked with different friends and stuff like that like brought up some some interesting points of like uh, i wonder if there's like more more nefarious things tied into the the uh vir viral research they were doing and like and that's that's why he's pulling such such a massive salary and stuff like that but be interesting Ooh, you know time time will tell yeah i definitely yeah. I think, think so go ahead uh grand old memes yeah i mean you know i First of all, I hate hearing this guy speak, but, uh, you know, hearing him uh, squirm is, is fun. And then, you know, when you're when your back's up against the wall and he knows he knows the walls are closing in on him, uh, you're going to swing the hardest. So that's why you're hearing him, you know, come out angrier and angrier every time he gets questioned. And, you know, he's a paid official, so yep. he should always be questioned and always be, uh, uh, you know, uh, feet to the fire. Uh, and, and it's good to see some people doing that. Yeah, definitely. And, and mo I think most importantly would be like to uh, be transparent, which is something that he has 100% not been since day one. No. So, you know, uh, that senator mentioned that all of those things that were, were linked from uh, the expose from Project Veritas were going to be shared on, on his social media and congressional websites, which they are. And uh, it seemed like within lockstep and within hours of that senatorial hearing, Joe Biden in answering questions didn't really answer any of the questions the press was asking him, but made sure he was going to be calling big tech to make sure that misinformation was going to be, uh, you know, governed more harder, daddy, on uh, social media. Oh, maybe he's talking about Joe Rogan. Maybe that too. Probably that as well. Let's hear him complain about big tech censorship. They're stepping up, as they always do. There are others sitting on the sidelines, and we're standing in the way. If you haven't gotten vaccinated, do it. Mm -hmm. Personal choice impacts us all, our hospitals, our countries. 
I make a special appeal to social media companies God. and media outlets. Please deal with the misinformation and disinformation that's on your shows. <laughs> it has to stop. COVID-19 is one of the most formidable enemies America has ever faced. We've got to work together, not against you. Stop it. Yeah, shut up. Oh, man. You know, guys, when, when you hear that, that's what that, when you, when you hear him talking about big tech censorship, we, we are still mourning the loss of our sixth Twitter account from last week. It oh, yeah. completely blew up and nuked without any consequence. We never had a tweet removed. Do we know what uh, was the uh, nail nope. in the coffin on that one? What, nope. was that? what was the last meme we posted? Someone who probably I continuously tagged complained to their friends who work for these companies, and they probably just took it away. Oh. Who do you think it was? RIP and peace. Yep. Nancy Pelosi or, or AOC or Jen Psaki. Those are my big three. It's hilarious. He's pleading with the with the tech oligarchs to censor people. It's hilarious, honestly. And how out of touch he is. We all we all know he's out of touch in in general, but he's just saying, please, please take this misinformation out of these shows. Like Well, it doesn't get any more ministry of truth than is he, is he talking about, that. Do you think he still calls them television programs? I want to watch my programs. <laughs> My butt's been my wiped. stories. My butt's been wiped. My butt's been wiped. I think it's, I feel like that should be uh, a pretty like bar bipartisan issue of like the, the government is asking, you know, tech to, to censor and suppress information it doesn't like. And then, uh, you know, providing them uh, legal coverage with like section 230. Yep. Like, yeah, it, I feel like that, that, you know, it really shouldn't matter. Like, what side of the aisle you're on or something like that. Like that should be a hard stop of like, that's a horrible can of worms that, you know, we should not allow to be opened. There are so many America first candidates that we've interviewed on this show that talk about getting rid of two thirty. They are thirsty for it. I think that's up along the top of, you know, even the ones that you wouldn't think like we had Casey Warninsky on here, you know, career military guy, 30 years, finished in the intelligence community, worked as the uh, secretary of the Army Reserves in the last two years for the Trump administration. And then one of the first two things he talked about was big tech censorship and how much he hates Hillary Clinton. <laughs> and this guy's like in his... Well, probably, we can all identify with that. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah. he's in his late 50s. You wouldn't think that that's really like, you know, he's going to go out there and talk about for someone with his career background, national defense, probably the borders, which he did touch on all of those things. He circled back to Hillary Clinton twice. What did he call her? A ghoul or a demon? Oh, what was it? Yeah, something like that. It, it, it was just... It was hilarious. Yeah. A creature, right? Killarious? Yeah, Killarious. He called her a horrible hilarious. creature. But uh, nobody better to roll out after Joe Biden talks is someone who surprisingly talks worse than him, and that's Kamala Harris. So I found a good one of her answering the greatest of questions in regards to the overall COVID response and then spun it. Did she answer it? With a little Michael Scott twist. Ooh. Let's hear it. What point does the administration say, you know what, this strategy isn't working. We're going to change strategies. Six former administration officials last week wrote that open letter urging the administration to change course, to change strategy. Is it time? It is time for us to do what we have been doing, and that time is every day. Huh? Every day it is time for us to agree that there are things and tools that are available to us to slow this thing down. Don't ever, for any reason, do anything to anyone for any reason ever, no matter what, no matter where or who or who you are with, 
or, or where you are going or, or where you've been ever for any reason whatsoever. <laughs> Sometimes. God, I think he nailed it perfect. Uh, you just imagine he's about five years ahead of his time as well. Yeah, that, uh, that, that quote is absolutely beautiful. It's just the biggest non-answer. Like, like I'm up here for the book report that I didn't read the book and I'm just like, great expectations. (laughs) These are the expectations. They were great. And they were great. (laughs) And I read all the expectations in this great book greatly. (laughs) What'd you think of it overall? It was great. There you go. Because <laughs> you know, I was what, thinking like, go ahead. What a, uh, I was, uh, I was thinking like, what a, it make like such a good one of those like uh, framed, framed prints of like, you know, they see in like Southern Living, you know, hanging on the wall with like an inspirational quote, and it's oh. got like f- like flowers and stuff in the background <laughs> that's like hanging up in your living room. It's on like a piece of like uh, distressed furniture. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some like distressed, uh, distressed white painted, you know, frame. <laughs> Not only was it great, it greatly exceeded my expectations. Every time, every day, forever, and all of times. The entire time I was reading it was now. It was right now. It was awful. <laughs> That's when the narrative you saw really start to collapse. Uh, we had had a lot of people from the major agencies, the Walenskis and the Fauci's out getting destroyed over the weekend in the beginning of the week. We saw, as as we've heard in our, in our Tuesday edition of Steak for Breakfast, a lot of the mainstream and legacy media outlets like CNN and MSNBC, even George Stephanopoulos kind of saying, like, can we just get over this crap now? This is really, you know, like a huge weight around your neck and you're, you're in a pool that's way too deep to be walking with it. Um, we, we did have some, some breaking news yesterday. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll play a clip from it now, and it, it has to do with the Supreme Court ruling in regards to some of those Biden vaccine mandates. Let's hear it. Hey, uh, we've got some breaking news here. Uh, This this is coming in and we want you to react to this. A split decision at the Supreme Court over the vaccine mandate. The Supreme Court has let uh, let stay the stay uh, that would have required uh, large companies to implement vaccine mandates or testing. But uh, federally funded healthcare centers that employ healthcare workers, they have to adhere to the mandate. So again, the mandate will not go into effect against private companies. It will go into effect against federally funded uh, healthcare um, companies uh, and facilities. Uh, so, you know, and that wasn't just for federally funded healthcare. That was for all federally funded things, including the military and stuff. That one has still not been struck down by the Supreme Court yet. So it was like a battle victory in the war that is uh, the pushback against the mandates. So kind of good to hear, you know, for for large companies and and entities that don't want to, you know, enforce those rules. Grand old memes, when you you heard that, did you understand the whole thing about the split decision, how it was only going to affect some but not all? And then what do you think – Moving forward, it's gonna. You think it's gonna open up the door to possibly some winnable cases. Now, now this stay that the Supreme Court ruled on is not a court victory. It just means that they're gonna get into like you know the nitty gritty and 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 the layers behind it and see if it really is constitutional. But by them offering this stay on the businesses of a hundred or more, it definitely looks uh, prospectful moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if I uh, I fully understood it before I put out a meme, to be honest, and then. I- <laughs> reading some of the comments and I'm, 
I'm seeing people go, you know, it doesn't cover healthcare workers and, and all that. And I'm like, oh man, you know, maybe I jumped the gun a little, but yeah, I definitely feel for those people. But I think this, this is a small, you know, victory in, in the war, like you said, like a, a battle victory. And yeah, you know, maybe it's a step in the right direction with all, you know, some of the other momentum that's shifting our way. Um, maybe, maybe there are some winnable cases uh, in the near future here. I think it sets a precedent that's going to go a long way when it comes down to when it finally gets to the overall points of just everybody's going to have to either adhere to this or it's going to go away. And I think it's hopefully just going to go away. Yeah, hopefully they don't just follow the science. Those are my expectations. I I greatly hold them. Well, as much as we would have wished it would have helped healthcare workers a little bit more because it makes no sense for fully vaccinated and boosted COVID positive nurses treating patients for being fully vaccinated and boosted and having breakthrough cases, which isn't really a thing. They're all just COVID cases. Um, Everyone's favorite governor, Big Dick, Ron DeSantis, weighed in today on that, talking about the insanity behind, you know, that equation. Let's hear him kind of uh, give his take on on how he feels about doctors and nurses and uh, how much he cares about the vaccine mandate statuses for them. The medical mandate for the for the nurses and the doctors, this is what they're trying to do is absolutely insane. In other states, they have fired nurses for not having vax, even though most of them have natural immunity. So they fire them. But now they're shorthanded. So what are they doing? They are bringing back on the job vaccinated nurses who are currently COVID positive. (laughs) So if you're unvaccinated, naturally immune and uninfected, you're, they fire you, but if you're COVID positive and vax, which we know most of the people that are COVID positive now are vax, they are going back on the job. Um, and it just shows you that CMS mandate is absolutely insane, especially given the ineffectiveness, you know, of, of these shots to actually stop transmission. All right. Antoinette, what do you think? You, you hear a lot of frustration in Ron DeSantis' voice, and obviously he's encouraged people in Florida to just bring in whoever they want and not, not mandate anything. And I think a lot of that has been going to Florida as being one of the only places and probably the best one at crushing the curve at getting the virus out there early, developing a probably massive herd immunity, and then you know being able to uh, manage the, the alternate variants now, which seem to be more of the flu and less of COVID. You know, you still have tons of sick people everywhere with flu-like symptoms. They're just not popping positive for COVID anymore. So it seems like the flu is back and better than ever. But you can hear the frustration in his voice when he tries to wrap a brain around, uh, you know, that equation that goes into striking down one for businesses, but not ones for the people who are supposed to be taking care of those who are sick. Well, yeah, that too. But like, how it, of course he's frustrated. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever to allow a nurse to- back that is covid positive but she has her vaccine so it just tells you what the agenda is they want everybody vaccinated period it has nothing to do with the virus it's all about getting as many people as possible to bend the knee get the shot it's clear because it doesn't make sense it's ass backwards like how 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 does that make sense it doesn't mostly peaceful do you think that uh Something as nefarious as this whole vaccine push has been and how the narrative is as so quickly changed in the last year and a half from every single person that's pushing it and mandating it now saying that they would never put anything made by that was endorsed by and, and you know, pushed through by Donald Trump in their bodies ever to to where we're at now, where it's almost like, 
you know, we had Cash Patel on earlier, and and for part of the time he he stays in Vegas, and the other part he has to go do some work in D.C. through his organization and some stuff he's still doing, you know, in regards to Trump world. And he says, starting tomorrow, they have World War II like show your papers to go anywhere, public transit. If you get pulled over by the cops, enter businesses, gyms, movie theaters, restaurants, anything. And not uh, voting, not voting, not voting though. No. How dare you? Do you think we're uh, seeing something that's going to come and go and we're going to learn from it? Or do you think this is part of like a bigger, darker thing that, uh, you know, lines up with that whole 2030 agenda and whatnot? Um, I mean, that's a that's the million dollar question, I guess. You know, I, I certainly think that there are bad actors with ulterior motives um, that are, uh, I think, using to like push that 2030 agenda. I think another part of it too is it's 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 part of human nature you know and you see uh you're seeing what happens when people get scared and when they're when they're afraid you know they're willing to do uh do anything to uh you know ensure ensure their perceived survival and so they'll you know it's kind of like what they're talking about with the all the mass formation psychosis where it's you know you're anyone who who disagrees with their uh theology you know is is attacked because because they're a danger to them yeah absolutely and it's not even uh, i mean i i know people there are probably some people that are afraid but a lot of this has just become even the people on the other side they they're starting to realize that this is bullshit like you see you see the the people that were the most like just fervent about this mm-hmm. doing their normal lives and they're letting it slip and you you see them at like a concert with no masks on and yeah. going out and going to bars and yada 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 but then oh well, muriel bowser the dc mayor's been caught several times yeah but what it comes down to is that even though they know it's bullshit it's still it is their mantle that they're going to just ride all the way just to the end because it's you don't want it you're not on my team therefore i want you to have it even more yeah, yeah. Like, I don't understand how anybody could believe. I saw some initial polling this week in the 2022 midterm election for the governor of Michigan, and they had Gretchen Whitmer up by, like, 9.5 points in initial polling a year out from election. Yeah, I just – how does that even make sense? You had someone that is – her and her family have rubbed it in the faces of their entire constituency over the course of this entire scamdemic, and then you've had the nursing home drama. Hers are just as bad as if – or if not worse than New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, and, and all the governors that were in charge of, of killing elderly there at the beginning of COVID by shoving them all into like basically, you know, wards for old people while they were sick. And, and then you have the whole uh, FBI sponsored fake kidnapping thing narrative that's got blown up. And then to think that she's coming out of there 10 points up in early on polling, it makes no sense. They're just going to call Arizona again right now just for fun. I know a lot of people in Michigan. I mean, I grew up half my life there. I have a lot of family, a lot of friends. I can, I can tell you this. They all hate her. And I know a lot of people there. Well, so, how many bullshit in my opinion? How many people have we interviewed from New Jersey, whether they're an America first candidate or, or they used to live there like James from we, the people. And they just talk about when you find a person that voted for governor Murphy, it'll be the first person that you find that's, you could find that's voted for governor Murphy and he still won New Jersey by two points. Crazy. Yeah. It yeah. Just is. And, uh, I don't know anybody that, that, you know, supports governor Murphy. So uh, I definitely think there was some, uh, 
you know, some uh, shady stuff going on there in the uh, the race with Jack. Um, uh, that had, um, I think we saw some uh, flashes of the, the 2020 election. Yes. Yep. Yeah, you got those machines that were never counted. You had machines breaking down in the middle of the night. You had, you know, chain of yeah. custody's not being taken care of. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it led to uh, a really bad loss for for a strong candidate that we probably could have had it we, we've talked about it with a couple of different people on our show and, and they just wish jack would have hit the uh the big issues the critical race theory and then some of the national politics a little bit harder they thought it would have been able to get him over the hump but he needed to stick local because it was you know punch for punch with murphy and then they just kind of used the big vote machine that they always do to uh you know get murphy in there for another term but uh jen Psaki was kind of asked in her presser yesterday how she thought this whole crumbling vaccine mandate narrative after the split ruling by the Supreme court made her feel. And, uh, you know, they do what they usually do. Just try to go above and beyond the, uh, parameters of the law. Let's hear it. This that reaction to the, uh, the Supreme court, uh, opinions and, uh, on the substance of the matter there, um, how, uh, how much of a blow is this to the administration's plan pandemic response plan, uh, that the employer mandate part of the testing or testing or vaccination mandate struck uh, or halted, and how will that affect the course of the pandemic? Sure. Uh, well, I know there'll be a pre the statement from the president that should be coming into your inboxes any moment now. Mm. Um, but let me uh, let me give you a quick reaction. First, let me start with some good news, uh, news that maybe isn't getting enough attention yet. That's our jobs here, or my job here, I should say. Uh, CMS's requirement for healthcare workers to be vaccinated will save the lives of patients, as well as the lives of doctors, nurses, and others uh, who work in healthcare settings. It will cover 17 million healthcare workers at 76,000 medical facilities. The Supreme Court upheld it and we will enforce that. Uh, the, sen uh, the, the, the Supreme Court's decision on the OSHA mandate essentially means that in, the pan in this pandemic it is up to individual employers to determine whether their workplaces will be safe for employees and whether their businesses will be safe for consumers. Uh, so President Biden, you'll see this in his statement, uh, will be calling on and will continue to call on businesses to immediately join those, those who have already stepped up, including one-third of Fortune 100 companies uh, to institute vaccination requirements to protect their workers, customers and communities. We have to keep working together uh, in order uh, to uh, get this done to save more lives. Um, I would note that there are a couple of um, signs, good signs in terms of uh, without this um, even in, even in spite of the ruling that we would point to. One is that 57%, according to a Navigator poll of Americans, support vaccine requirements. Uh, according False. to Wills Tower Watson's report, a survey of 534 U.S. employers, a majority, 57% of respondents, have or will require their employees to get vaccinated against COVID-19. Why? Uh, because nearly uh, because employees want to feel safe in the workplace, uh, because they want to incentivize workers to come back to the workplace, and because they've seen uh, large companies across the country implement this and see how effective it is. So polling data that goes into nothing that affects the Supreme Court ruling on a stay, combined with the fact that she literally said, regardless of what the Supreme Court says, the administration is going to continue to encourage employers to uphold these vaccine mandates. I mean, that kind of just paints an overall pretty picture about how this administration is, number one, out of touch like probably no administration's been for ever. And then number two, they're just going to continue to try and burn it down as fast as they can before the midterm elections. And if that includes firing hundreds of thousands of people nationwide, including our servicemen and women, then they're going to go ahead and do that.
I just don't understand what the motive is anymore. It's like, just like, it's just gotten to the point where it's, we, we just can't, we can't say we were wrong. That's what it is. Well, that, and there is, I, I feel there is an ulterior, like there's a nefarious agenda with this vaccine. You know, it's not, it's not just about power and, you know, um, not admitting they're wrong. They want these people to everyone to get jabbed. And it's for a reason. It's not for the virus because we know that it doesn't help the virus. It actually makes people sick. It's killed many people as well. Injured even more. Injured millions. I mean, it's you really got to think, you know, if they're letting a COVID positive nurse come back to work because she's vaccinated and she can spread the virus as, as opposed to someone that's not vaccinated, that doesn't, you know, who's not sick and not positive. That just tells you everything. There, there's something really dark and sinister to this to this vaccine. Just that's yeah. opinion. The uh, quote that comes comes to mind is the uh, the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. Yes, and like you know, it's like, well, I do know that the U.S. government injected poor black people with syphilis in the South in the '70s. Sure did. While you know, people like Joe Biden, who are still currently in office, were holding office. So you know some of the same exact people holding uh, that are still in the federal government, you know? So if you're, if you're uh, going to try to tell me that it's crazy to think that, you know, they would do something nefarious with vaccines. It's like, well, they've done it before. So I mean, and not on this so scale. it's not that crazy, True, but it's not on this scale. This is like, no. all of us can agree that this is probably the biggest crime against humanity in our history. Especially we've heard that stuff come out recently where you have those yeah. doctors from the CDC and the FDA, like joking on a zoom call in regards to the effects that it's going to have on children. And then basically right. saying, we're not going to know what the side effects are. So we just got to pump up as many kids as possible and get our data from that. We're not going to know unless we vaccinate the children. Mm. It's unbelievable. Yeah. They, they, this is a war on our children. That honestly, and I'm going to sound like conspiratorial, but I, that's, I really that's not like, you at all. Gasp. <laughs> this is. A, I really feel like this is a part of the depopulation agenda. You know, completely. Because I mean, the party that's pushing these vaccines so hard are the party of abortion. Um, you know, climate change. We need less people on the earth. A caste system. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, if they're going for our children because they are the future, you know, it's it's insane. And this vaccine has been shown to affect fertility and many, many other things. I mean, it's pretty sick. It makes me sick, to be honest, to see, you know, children getting this shot and these parents having no clue whatsoever what is being put in their in their kid. You know, I saw it myself in person and I oh, it took a lot for me to not say anything yeah no it's pretty scary for all of us and you know most of us here have kids and you know Noah thinks he always gets off easy because he doesn't have any kids but I, I took my dog to uh you know the groomer the other day to get her a little bath and a little little nail clippy and then uh there they better some, not be vaccinating dogs now. They're, they're vaccinating dogs for covid and influenza for and the guy, yeah. the guy had on two masks and he was behind me at like the the vet place that's attached to petco and uh he was asking about the uh, side effects of the vaccine for for influenza and covid for dogs it's insane my mom mm. my mom took my dog to the vet well she adopted my dog so i'm like i don't have him anymore i'm pretty sad about it but anyway um she took him to the vet and they wanted to uh, inject him for the flu and COVID. And she's like, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Absolutely not. No she's thanks. like, this dog is like my child. I would never. And they're like, well, I mean, it's been proven to work. And she's like, no, 
It, it, it hasn't. No, thank you. I'm not experimenting on my dog. 100%. And uh, has a dog ever gotten the flu? No, I've never heard of that. <laughs> never. That's why I had to like turn around and literally look at the guy. And of course he was like, you know, I mean, like he had on pleated pants. He had on a shirt tucked <laughs> in with a sweater vest. He had nicely groomed hair and like glasses. You could just tell he had on a N95 mask with a vanity mask over it. You're saying he probably doesn't drive a forklift for a living or no. Work He's definitely not for forklift survivor. <laughs> he needed to hurry up and get home so he could continue to report all of our memes on social media. You know, what's you know, what's crazy. I asked uh, when I was at one of these drugstores, I asked the person injecting people. I asked if they had uh, the vaccine insert. And uh, like, you know, for the ingredients and the ingredients list of a vaccine doesn't exist. She said, no, you can go on Pfizer's website. And I'm like, you guys should have something here. How are you giving people informed consent, you know, for this vaccine? She's like, well, they can go on the website. I'm like, I don't hear any of you telling these people what the side effects could be or, you know, Kamala said, Google it, Google it. Just that's been her go to. It's it's crazy. Well, we can only hope that the narrative continues to crumble. And as we're getting ready right now to jump in with Cash Patel, we'll ask him about the overall COVID narrative and get his take on it as well. All right. Joining us today, kind of a steak exclusive, Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast podcast. He's circling back with us for a second time. He's a lawyer, counterterrorism expert, to say the least, and uh, former chief of staff to the DOD, Mr. Cash Patel. Thanks for joining us today on this Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast. Hey, thanks so much for having me back, guys. I'm uh, really excited to be here. Oh, believe us, it's our pleasure. Um, how are things going with you? What's news? We've talked to you, I think, the last time, a couple months ago. You joined us shortly there after the uh, Afghanistan debacle. We, we talked heavily yeah. on that. We got some different stuff to think. I think we're going to touch on today. But uh, what's been going on in uh, Cash's world? Uh, well, we're trying to, uh, you know, live freer and be mm. more American. So I'm a, I'm a Nevada resident. I enjoy my time in Vegas now more than my time in the District of Communism, <laughs> but I have to come back to D.C. for work stuff. So that's annoying. And as we were talking about before the show aired, uh, before we started recording was this place is like lockdown central. If you want to walk outside on the street, you have to present your vaccine passport, U.S. passport, driver's license and voter registration. But if you want to vote, you can just show up and do whatever you want. Imagine that. Well, are you actually going to have to like show your vaccine all the stuff and your ID to get like to the place. And then once you get inside, then you're good to go. I don't even know. It's, I, I don't know how <laughs> it's going to, it's going to cause like a, a tear in the space time continuum or something. I eventually. saw, saw Spider-Man three. It was pretty good. <laughs> Ended well. I cried a little bit. Nice. So yeah, well that sounds awful. But aside from the fact that you're, you're living a majority of your time in Vegas now, which is awesome. Uh, it's definitely a lot better there than it is yeah. Washington DC. And, uh, what about work-related stuff? What have you been working on, uh, you know, since we talked to you a few months ago? Uh, just been uh, powering through on stuff for fightwithcash.com. Really, we finally turned the corner. Uh, we raised, we're raising a lot of money. We've got multiple defamation lawsuits in the pipeline for everyday Americans. We've got a couple we're unrolling soon. We're starting to cut those checks. So really, that's been the focus uh, you know, since we last talked has been just getting that trust going and it's up and running. We've got incredible merch there now, too, that we sell. Everything goes right back in the trust. So the whole point is to defeat the fake news media. That's been kind of my jam. I was just out in Nebraska at the, as their guest speaker for the uh, Lincoln Day dinner out there. 525 Americans showed up. It was pretty awesome. It looks like I'll be doing one of those events a month across the country. That's great. Um, and uh, we'll keep it going. Yeah, that's really good to hear. I, I think uh, a lot of people who don't know, 
uh, or didn't get a chance last time to hear Cash talk about that, you know, fun that he's got going on to help people fight back against big tech. Well, again, live link it in our show description today. You go take a look at that. It's a very easy to navigate website and gives a lot of information. And then also gives you the opportunity to get in contact with cash and his people and, and all the great work they're doing for that. So that's good to hear. Um, so let's see Washington DC sucks still. Hey, is it, is the rumors true? Is, is there really a new wall going up around the outside of the white house right now? What are they doing? Some yard work there? Or what's going on? I don't know. I try to avoid that. Landscaping. Compound. At all costs, I try not to be anywhere near it. Um, I do know when President Trump was in, we we actually doubled the height of the of the fencing around the White House, and that project wasn't finished um, when we handed it off. So I imagine they, you know, it's a it was a one at least a one year build, and I think we were like halfway done when we transitioned out. Hmm. And honestly, the reason we did it was because there were so many fence jumpers. Like it wasn't really reported in the media. And so we were just like, why is this fence only six feet tall? Right. And so we we doubled it. So maybe that's it. Maybe they're putting up a new barrier. I don't know. Maybe they're building Joe a new fake office um, <laughs> inside this walled compound. I never know. See, that's another thing that I want to touch on with someone who's actually worked inside the Oval Office and on the White House grounds. Why do, is it, do you think, that they use that? television like set for all of joe biden's press conferences there's been rumors it's closer to a bathroom or maybe you know that they could fit a larger teleprompter in there and he it sits it's, in a kiddie pool it's one of those <laughs> things what what's what's your take on that it's pretty weird to see him never operating inside the oval office not even for like getty images pictures well it's not just inside the oval office i mean joe biden has never that i can recall been at the podium in the press office yeah you know where jen Psaki usually spews from mm. but I haven't, I don't recall a pre, you know, it's not for the president to be there on a daily or a weekly basis, but every president goes in there and talks to the press. Now, the configuration of that room, what people don't realize is it used to be a, it used to be a pool, literally. Oh. That's why it's called the press pool. And what they did under, I think Nixon was they shut the pool down or Reagan actually uh, filled it in and made it the new press office. Mm-hmm. And, but it's really, really small. And so that's probably one of the reasons they go to the theater which is at a different location at the White House, which provides a lot more space, an actual stage, and you can totally control who goes in and out because of the location it's at at the White House. So it's just another controlled environment for Joe Biden to host these phony press narratives or publication narratives where they can control what he says and who he calls on and what he reads instead of having reporters shout their questions, as is the norm, um, so he can't be caught off guard. That and his teleprompter probably wouldn't fit in a little room. Yeah, I don't know if you guys saw it yesterday when he, when the pool press pool started peppering him with uh, questions at the end of one of his speaking events. He just kind of like sat there and smirked at them and asked them to stop. And then he just like kind of folded his hands and put his head down. And I'm just like, I did the Mr. Burns. Even my wife, who's kind of a moderate lib, she's more of like the Joe Manchin, Kristen Cinemas of our family, and we're more of the you know America First on, on my side of the family, but. Even she was like, this is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. This is disgusting. She said, he looks like a child who's getting yelled at in class. <laughs> and he's just sitting there. And, 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 you know, based off those poll numbers that we saw this week, um, where we saw only 25% support for the Joe Biden regime with independence. And I believe uh, Quinnipiac, which is one of the not favoring conservatives polls yesterday released like 33 percent overall cash when you see those numbers for someone who supposedly garnered 80 million votes just 12 months ago how does that uh make you feel as someone who uh kind of knows the way the beltway works um 
Well, it makes me feel sad because as a national security guy, you know, when you're president, when your commander in chief is re- receiving 25% approval ratings, um, it means we're failing the national security mission of the United States of America. You know, I leave the politics to the circus that is Washington, D.C., but from Afghanistan to look, Iran just recently issued new kill orders against Americans who served in the Trump administration, sanctioned Americans who served in the Trump administration. Russia is outflanking us at every step. Just yeah. look at Vladimir Putin, what he's doing, whether it's in the Ukraine or Kazakhstan or what have you. And then there's Xi Jinping in China. Mm-hmm. He's taking shots literally at dummy U.S. ships in the South China Sea. And we're not doing anything about it. And we haven't even gotten to the resurgence of the Taliban and what they're doing um, to this administration. So I think it's sad. I, I, I root for Joe Biden to succeed in the national security arena, because if he doesn't, this is what happens. And now we are in a weakened position where I fear that um, Al Qaeda will see a resurgence. ISIS will see a resurgence. And I hate to say this, but I think we'll see convention, conventional forces go back to Afghanistan in 18 months. I hate to hear that. Yeah, for surely. And, uh, you know, you brought up a lot of good points. We, we, I was going to ask you specifically because you're, you know, national security expert and, and you've, you've dealt a lot of this stuff behind closed doors when you were in the Trump administration. There are some new threats coming from the Iranian regime there talking about yeah. uh, retribution kills for what happened to Soleimani. And, uh, you know, a lot of these people hear it. It comes and goes. Listen, instead of the COVID death counter or how many ventilators people are on, something like, you know, a, a legitimate government who has been an adversary of the United States for decades, making threats against the last president and his family members and people who worked in the administration just skirting by, like, one-line headlines on all the news channels. Fox News isn't even really covering it. I don't consider them legitimate news that much. Oh, I thought you were going to say you wanted a count of people who want to kill us on the screen. Well, there, well, yeah, there you go. Uh, how many people in the Trump administration want to kill counter? Yeah. Cash, how, how important and legitimate of a threat is this, especially when, when there's so many, you know, sleeper cells hidden throughout the world, especially probably in the United States? Well, that that's just it. But Iran doesn't operate. We don't operate in Iran. Everyone knows that. But Iran operates outside of Iran against U.S. interests and Americans. They operate in Iraq with the Shia military groups. They operate in places like Yemen and on the Saudi border, and they constantly attack us and our allies. But the biggest concerning factor about this threat, we put aside the point that they issued literally a kill order for a bunch of Americans who did their job. And I think right, rightfully so when taking out Soleimani, who is responsible for uh, more American soldier casualties than any human being on planet Earth. Oh, yeah. So I thought that strike was courageous and righteous. Mm-hmm. But the Iranians came out recently and said, we're going to kill these people inside of America. Wow. And like, you're right. No one's covering it. It's not like we're making it up. It's not like we just like went to Tehran and said, hey, say these words so we can have something to talk about in America. This is what the Ayatollah on down to the IRGC are saying um, about Americans. And the problem is Iran operates through proxy forces, as I was just talking about, and they have capabilities inside the U.S. Look, the Department of Justice just recently indicted more people for selling secrets back to Iran. It's a continuous process that I was a part of, um, uh, at least prosecuting uh, trade secrets back to Iran. And so they have their sleeper cells here. And the problem with the Iranians is they have more patience than almost any other fighting force on the planet save maybe al-Qaeda. Yeah, that's that's an excellent point to see. And for as long as they've been able to maintain and sustain power there in Iran, you know, it's one of those things where you just have to think, 
this is going to take a while, but we're going to wait for the right time and we're going to make sure it's, it's going to be something and it's the bad kind of spectacular, but hopefully, you know, it's not spectacular when it happens here on someone who, you know, is either in uh, president Trump's family or worked in the last administration. Definitely uh, something we should be focusing a whole lot more on too. in in the news cycle, we try to cover it here uh, bi-weekly on our show as well. Um, George Papadopoulos yesterday tweeted, you know, it, it was, it was that he thought it was crazy to see Joe Biden's, own party essentially abandoned him. You know, I know a lot of people make news about Kristen Cinema and Joe Manchin, but there's also four to six other Democrats who weren't going to vote on this voter bill. We've already seen Build Back Better uh, shut down and and, and kind of backburnered for now. We, we've got a lot of other stuff. The uh, Supreme Court ruling of the OSHA mandates for the companies that have over 100 employees, I thought that was big, although at the same time sad uh, that the one for healthcare workers and stuff like that was, was still held up. In addition to his bad poll numbers, have, have you ever seen, I mean, there was a lot of pushback on, on President Trump's America First agenda when he got in the White House, especially for the first 18 months that he was there. But after that, we were able to get some things done, even when we didn't have total control of the House and Senate. Have you ever seen like an unprecedented just abandonment of like, you know, controlling all three branches and just not seeing anything be able to stick no matter what it is? No, not like this. I mean, this is... Um... This is pretty uh, historical in terms of its first of a kind that that I'm seeing. And I think, look, most of these things that we're talking about today are are things that people in Washington, D.C. care way too much about. But America doesn't. And that's why America grows to despise Congress and its elected leaders, because all they care about in D.C. is making the next headline, winning the next election and not necessarily doing what's right for the American people. Um, that, you know, like I met with just last week in, you know, in Valley County, Nebraska, for, for, for instance, they care about how are we protecting the border? How are we stopping the flow of Chinese fentanyl killing our youth? What are we doing in Afghanistan, in Iraq? What are we doing in Syria? What are we doing with Iran? What are we doing to stop terrorism? There's still hostages that we haven't returned home. And oh, by the way, why am I paying five bucks for a gallon of gasoline? Yeah. The, these are things they care about, right? They don't care about these bills that have T trillions on them. You know, that's one that's just insane. We're just making up numbers at this point. But the amount of money that we're talking about printing to do what everyday Americans are like, that doesn't impact me. That's not why I sent you guys to Congress. You know, I need help in my community, but I don't need you to tell me what my children need to learn in public schools. I mean, they're just they're just swinging and missing in D.C. And that's why these all three branches are just at an all point low. Yeah, it definitely is. And then, uh, you know, to piggyback off of that, you, you, you would have to think that, uh, you know, to see the party abandoned. The next question I want to ask you on, we touched on it a little bit last time you were on, but we've talked to so many other people in our America First, you know, interviews that we've done with all these uh, candidates who are running everybody from John Gibbs, Steve Cara, Anthony Sabatini, Joe Kent, um, Casey Wardinsky, Patrick Witt, uh, Andrew McCartney, people that, that worked in the last administration and, and, and did things to, to try and help the president get his agenda across. One thing that keeps coming back. Amanda Milius touched on it with us a bunch, too, and so did Dr. Navarro when he was on the show. The administrative state, uh, it's definitely what probably controls, and a lot of people who aren't really keen into what politics are makes Washington, D.C. work. Like, you elect these public figures. Let's just say we'll use, for example, President Trump. President Trump Mm -hmm. has his America First agenda. He gets in there. He campaigned on, like, building the wall and stopping drugs and peace through strength and, you know, bringing China back, uh, reining them in. And although some of those components were able to get done, the more and more people we bring on the show who work directly in the administration, they talk about how 
career appointed officials and people without bosses who have just been in government forever. They, they, they literally they could just muck down and slow down everything that's going on. I, I think when I see Joe Biden's agenda failing so spectacularly and quickly is surprising to me because a lot of that administrative state that was in there that kind of mucked up Donald Trump's presidency and slowed the America first agenda down. Just imagine if that more people were on the same page with him besides the elected officials and, and cabinet appointees. Um, does it surprise you to see, you know, the administrative state working behind the scenes, not being able to pull more of Joe Biden's agenda along? No, because I think, you know, here, here, I'll give you an example of what, why the administrative state is the height of hypocrisy and why it's a total, uh, you know, internal combustible engine that always blows up on itself. Look, the filibuster, right? Yep. Everybody, including the current president, President Biden, including Senate Majority Leader Mitch, uh, excuse me, Chuck Schumer, have been on the Senate floor as United States senators and lobbied against removing the filibuster in the past. Today, the president of the United States, Biden, this same Senate Majority Leader Schumer and countless others are saying the filibuster must go. It's this constant swapping of positions on on ideals that are so valuable to the movement of Congress and and pick whatever issue you want that they they these elected officials think they can say one thing one day, completely reverse positions another and expect not to be called out on their hypocrisy. And I think it finally is catching up to them because these guys literally have no shame. They're going out there as if they never said anything about the filibuster. And now they're saying the complete opposite. And that's why things can't get done, because America's actually hyped to these these issues. And they're like, wait a second, you, we sent you to D.C. for two decades and you rallied against removing the filibuster. Now you're just all of a sudden for it because um, and they don't provide any justification right. for their removal. And so I think that's just an example of why it doesn't work here. Yeah, there was that speech on the Senate floor the other day. I can't remember who it was that gave it. It, it might have been a. Uh, Tom Cotton and, and the entire speech that he gave were parts of past Chuck Schumer yeah. spe- speeches in where he was basically arguing for, you know, to, to not uh, use the nuclear option in regards to getting this voter bill passed. And it, it was just funny to hear, uh, you know, two minutes and, and 40 seconds of, of him regurgitating Chuck Schumer over the years and, and basically making, you know, hypocrisy like statements. I thought it was just classic to hear and uh definitely something that we're, we're going to keep peeling the onion back on this uh administrative state thing and and hopefully with the you know next thing i want to touch on is the amount of america first candidates that are that are out there there's a ton of former trump administration officials even if they were only there for like a year even if they were only to get appointed towards the end um you know that went back and decided that it's time to go and 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 have a big red wave do you like this crop of, of America first candidates that are that are coming out there right now? And do, do you think it's different in years past from one? You know, when we bring them on the show, we kind of try to hold their feet to the fire and ask them, OK, you say it's America first. Even if you're endorsed by President Trump, let's talk about some of these issues and their knowledge based on a lot of this stuff. Everything from national security, the borders, the economy and the covid narrative is, is, is right on key and on, on pace with what, you know, the American public is uh, concerned about, not the same concerns as the Biden administration. All they care about is passing their agenda. But how do you feel about this crop of America first candidates that's coming in for the midterms? Yeah. I mean, I think for the most part, it's a resounding, you know, yes. Right. I'm, I'm pretty involved with um, still with president Trump on, um, you know, the midterm election cycle and we're doing some work together um, to promote America first ideologies, which you have to do with America first candidates, guys like Joe Kent. Right. Mm-hmm. And we didn't just try to prop up candidates mm-hmm. who just, um, sound and look good. 
but who actually substantively know the work and issues because they've had a handle on them in the past. I mean, that's the difference between the platform we as Republicans are running who believe in President Trump's agenda versus what the Democrats are doing. We're running on stuff. We're running for, you know, securing our border. We're running to reduce gasoline prices. We're running for free public schools, at least in terms of the education aspect. We're running right. to a safer America. The Democrats are just running against Trump still. They're just whatever you whatever they say on TV, COVID, Trump's fault. You know, January 6th, Trump's fault. And America's finally like, well, what are you going to do for us when you get there besides blame Trump? And I think those two things, juxtaposition, um, show voters that, well, these guys have a platform, these guys being the America First candidates, and the left doesn't. It's just voting against something, and that's not what it takes to win elections. Yeah, it's definitely not. And uh, I, I think the biggest thing that's exciting for me, and probably one of the first things, I mean, I'm in my early 40s, so is Noah, and we follow politics for a long time, especially over the probably more than not the last 15 years or so. But it's the first time in modern politics that you see a lot of candidates in different parts of the United States linking up and kind of like joining their forces yeah. before they're even elected to office. Uh, you know, we've talked about it on the show. We've seen uh, Kent Sabatini, people like Mike Collins all join together and like do an event. I, we had Desi Quasar or Quayar, who's on last week, he's running against AOC in New York, and then Andrew McCarthy, who's running out in, in Western New York, they want to do like an America First roundtable on our show like we had with Collins and Kent not too long ago uh, when they were on, and just kind of throw the issues out there and then both talk about how when they get into the Beltway they want to go and uh, you know make a better difference. And it, it's it's awesome to see these guys are, are already working together. And there's a lot of coordination coming from, from Washington, D.C. We had Vish Burra on here not too long ago. He's the vice president of the New York Young Republican Club. He's also you know, the guy who kind of runs Matt Gates' schedule. And he talked about that's one of the biggest things going, getting all these people together on a regular basis and getting them working together now. So when they get into D.C., it's a lot harder for the establishment rhinos, the people who have been there together, the the lobby groups to get in their ears because they're already going to have a little click going on. So they're not going to be worried about, you know, who they have to impress or what they have to do. Plus, like you said, this this crop of candidates is a lot different. When you talk about people, let's just say Joe Kent, for instance, you know, no one's served more, given more, and sacrificed more than he has before he's going to run for public office already in his career. No, you're totally right. And it's just a great group of candidates that we have. And I think that's why we're going to win the House and the Senate. Yeah, and I'm hoping overwhelming majorities in both as well. Um, something that's kind of funny but also scary is how Hillary Clinton is kind of positioning herself back to be the uh, prominent face of the Democratic Party. She's made Good. some. Yeah. Good. I hope, yeah. I hope she does. I'll, I'll donate to that effort. <laughs> Do you think that's really the best that they got left, like, right now? Like, obviously, the Joe Biden, super progressive, and Kamala Harris, super woke, like, woman of color, whatever you want to call her, candidacy thing is not working. It doesn't resonate, and, and it's just cringe to the American public. Bringing her back, especially now she's starting to make those comments where, you know, you need someone with history and stoicism and all this other garbage that she lies about all the time. Is that really something that, that you think that the, the DNC is looking to get into right now, maybe a possible rematch in 2024? I don't, but I don't think the DNC has the ability to stop the Clinton machine. If she wants to run, she's going to run and she's going to own it. Uh, I think smart people in DNC who won't say it publicly are probably horrified at the prospect of her running again, but I am all for it because that would be so awesome to have her on the ticket again. 
um, uh, running against uh, my former boss, President Trump, would be amazing. I mean, it would literally lead to the destruction of the Democratic Party, because what would they do with Joe Biden or Kamala Harris or even anyone else that was considering running if they put another another Clinton round back in the chamber to fire up the American people after her enormous failures, um, uh, after her stealing, almost stealing an election from the American people yep. by paying for the Russiagate scandal. I mean, the amount of ammunition we would have, that's why I said, I'm you know, half kidding, but not, not really. Like if she wants to run, maybe I will actually donate to her campaign. It's like, it's like donating to AOC. Like, why wouldn't you? She's the best publicity yeah. we have. There's nothing better than putting her in front of a microphone. No, you're, you're right about that. And we've seen some of those awesome takes from AOC over the last Oof. couple of weeks. You know, t- touching back on Hillary, I, I think it would be interesting to see kind of a rematch even more so. A lot of the things that President Trump used as campaign, you know, fire going in were things that he accused that people always said the Clintons did, but you've never right. really been able to pin on them. Now you have the whole Russiagate thing blown wide open and, and definitely receipts that lead all the way back up to her. Uh, let's touch on the last two things I wanted to talk to you about. Number one, I've seen you've been making the uh, cable news rounds, not as of late, and, uh, you know, doing some talk shows with some people you've been talking about. Two different things. First thing I want to touch on is uh, Durham for Dummies for our listening audience. Can you give us kind of an update on what's going on with that? I know we had some court dates for Mr. Igor scheduled here soon, uh, coming up in the next year. And uh, why don't you let our listening audience know what you're uh, tracking on Durham? Yeah, I think uh, last we spoke before the holiday break, Durham had indicted three people representing of the indictments against the FBI, the Clinton campaign. Um, their lawyers and also the source of the steel dossier, which is shredded. Um, anybody who still believed that the Russia Gate scandal was not an actual organized criminal conspiracy and enterprise. Now, what we have into the new year is John Durham making another move. He basically did uh, a pleading in public in court, which said this guy's lawyers, so Denchenko's lawyers, are the lawyers for the Hillary Clinton campaign. Yes. If you can believe it, which we can. <laughs> because it's Hillary. So what did Clinton do? She nested her legal team as the defense for the number one source in the Steele dossier, who himself has said the Steele dossier was total bullshit. And what Durham did smartly was he said, look, we, as a federal government, as a prosecutor, think there might be a conflict of interest here. And at least he flushed it out ahead of time. And he told the world what the Clinton campaign was doing. Now, it is up as a former federal public defender and a, and a prosecutor, it's up to the, def- the defendant to pick his own attorney. And what happened in this case was the Igor Denchenkov was asked all these questions and he, quote unquote, waived all conflicts. So he acknowledged that these lawyers that are currently representing him also represent the Hillary Clinton campaign. He also acknowledged that there's a chance that John Durham might bring some of those people that um, his guys are representing to argue against him in that indictment. And so that was, to me, that was just shocking. It also, and this is probably the most prescient thing, is that it shows that John Durham is investigating the Hillary Clinton campaign because he wouldn't have gone out there and said, oh, I think there's a conflict of interest because I'm not investigating anyone associated with the Hillary Clinton campaign. You do that because you are, and he's already looked at it. And so you don't have to prove an actual conflict of interest exists. Only that one might become an actuality based on the path that you're going. And I think that's the biggest development in John Durham. And it's going to take a little more time, but I think you're going to see a few more indictments come in the spring. Um, I'm looking at hopefully four to six more indictments. I like that forecast right there and, and definitely things that lead all the way up to the top. And when we talk about the top, it is 
Hillary Clinton and, and all the people in her inner circle as well. So uh, the last thing I want to kind of touch with you on was, uh, you know, something I saw you talking about recently on, uh, I believe it was Fox News maybe a week or so ago. You were talking about the January 6th stuff, uh, you know, with the DOD refusing the National Guard troops and stuff like that. What, what was kind of the update you were going around giving in regards to uh, some of the narrative that's going out? And then, you know, I know you're kind of mucked up in this whole thing. So we're not going to ask you to like give too many details, but your whole feeling on the committee anyway, I know, I know people like president Trump have definitely weighed in and, and called it garbage and illegitimate and the next witch hunt and whatever. But <laughs> what are you feeling about it right now? Well, I think it's unfortunate um, on many, on many fronts, because look, congressional oversight is, is, is valuable constitutional responsibility to the American people. When these committees take charge to conduct oversight investigations, like we did when I ran the Russiagate investigation for Chairman Nunes, mm -hmm. that provided valuable oversight for the wrongdoings and the illegal activity of the FBI and the Clinton campaign. And that should be and must be exposed. That's part of the job. But Americans lose faith in the institution of Congress and its oversight when they conduct political investigations which is what so many have been saying about this January 6th, quote unquote, committee, select committee on, on investigating all that. And look, I went before them and I was interrogated for five hours in December, uh, just maybe a month or so ago. And, you know, I can't get into details of what I said, but I have right. said repeatedly, I want that transcript out there public. Every American should be able to read not just my transcript, but every single one of them. Of course, they don't want to release it right now. But I've said before and I've said after the main thing that people should be proud of is how the is whether or not the Department of Defense acted appropriately on January 6th and leading up to January 6th. And I'll say a couple of things about it. Okay. One, the DOD inspector general under Biden issued a report about six weeks ago that said us, the Trump Department of Defense, when I was chief of staff there, operated appropriately, did not obstruct and did not delay in, in any aspect related to January 6th. So. That, to me, should have shut the story down, saying the DOD delayed in issuing National Guard into um, D.C. Or around the country. That was a Biden inspector general, and it's out there publicly report. There's also the timeline that shows from the Department of Defense that shows every move we took leading up to those up to January 6th, troop deployments, mobilizations, employment, deployment, kidding up, manning up, equipment, training and putting these guys out. And we did it in the fastest time since uh, World War Two. And so we're pretty proud of the way we handled January 6th. And I think what the what the media is hung up on is that we've destroyed their narrative that somehow we were colluding to do an insurrection and keep Trump in or whatever. And President Trump proved quite the opposite with his own words. Yep. He authorized he President Trump told us in the Oval Office two days before January 6th. Um, that you, the DOD, are authorized to have 10 to 20,000 National Guards, men and women across America if you see fit. Why is that important? Because the law requires a presidential authorization for national troop deployment. It also requires a request, as you guys know, from a mayor, a governor, the Capitol Police. And as we've now seen, Mayor Bowser in writing flat out rejected any National Guard support on January 6th, exceeding 200 people, which is nothing. nothing and yet. United States Capitol Police rejected any National Guard support leading up to and including on January 6th until late in the afternoon. So I was proud to have served there and done what we could. And I think if those two individuals or entities had requested the guards, men and women that were authorized by President Trump, January 6th would have gone very differently because you literally would have had 
the United States military surrounding the Capitol as a barrier. And I'm not really sure what force is going to break through, break through that. But I just don't think the committee's focused on those facts. I can tell you in the five hours I was in there, we spent less time talking about January 6th and more time talking about Afghanistan, Somalia, Esper, Gina Haspel, Iraq, Syria, and memorandums about phantom ghosts oh, than we did about January 6th. Huh. Yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. So there you go. There's, there's your state exclusive right there. So, and probably, you know, something that uh, I think Dr. Navarro touched on a little bit when, uh, you know, he, he talked about it when he was on the show. He said, you know, he was pushed from the January 6th crowd down to the COVID oversight committee, but they did want some information regarding, you know, what he thought. And he said, as soon as he started to get into the, to the details of it and provide receipts, it seems like they had no interest in that and wanted to, all right, well, let's talk about your COVID response and things like that. Yeah. So just kind of funny the way they're doing it. And then you see, I feel like Nancy Pelosi's kind of distancing herself from it as well, because she knows, you know, you, you mentioned losing faith, the American people in like the, the oversight process and stuff like that. How many more times are we going to have to see a Russia gate or a Ukraine gate or, you know, they spied on my campaign yeah. gate and, and now stuff like this January 6th. I saw some poor guy on uh, he was on Tucker Carlson last night, 71 year old career Navy vet retired. They're basically putting sedition charges on him that are never going to stick. And they had him in jail for a while. And now they're like bankrupting his entire family. He never even entered the Capitol. He had receipts. They didn't provide the receipts on the show, but Tucker said that he talked to him. They showed him stuff. And he's like, it's pretty safe to say that this guy is, did not do what they're charging him with. And they're still doing it for like the whole big production of it. And uh, the only thing that's missing from the January 6th committee right now is a song sung to narrate it by Hamilton, which we saw on the anniversary yeah. last <laughs> week over there at the Capitol. So, all right, Cash, before we get out of here with you, there is a huge event happening this weekend. It's not the SHOT Show, although that is a pretty large event. It's the first Trump rally of the 2022 yeah. season. Um, you know, he held off on his January 6th press conference, whatever he was going to do. There's also been some developments with Durham, Big Tech. You've got, uh, I saw uh, Cat Code decided today that he's not going to run for re-election, so that another one that Donald Trump has hopefully helped pressure out of there based off internal poll numbers. Um, from from the New York State, it's probably going to be a pretty big display of all the things we love about President Trump. I've seen everybody pretty much besides Ted Cruz who kind of skirted back to the side of good, be on their best behavior because they know if they go out and speak along like moderate lines and not America first lines, Donald Trump will be the first person to call you out when he has his rally. Mm -hmm. And this is going to be one that he's been saving up all through the holiday season. You got a little uh, forecast and projection about how awesome this first rally of the year is going to be? Well, so I probably did, I don't know, 40 or 50 um, trips with uh, President Trump, mm. um, including a, a rally or two. I did a couple in Arizona. And I will just tell you that the way that the where we do the rallies in Arizona is out in like the middle of nowhere. And the landscape is awesome. And people just pack the house. And since this is the first rally of the year, I know there's going to be more. Um, I was supposed to go to this one, but um, I decided to just uh, just hold my powder for for the first one. <laughs> and uh, it is going to be a scene. Um, and it's awesome because think about this. When have you been able to recall the last time a former president was conducting a rally a year after he left office? That's going to have over fifty five thousand people present. Right. <laughs> it's insane. It's he hasn't even really gotten going yet. He's not even running yet. Right. He's just doing a rally. He's not even like, hey, elect me to be president. He's just like, 
let's go out and talk to America and have fun. And I think it's going to be awesome. My dear friend, I think Rick Rennell is going to be there. Matt Whitaker is going to be there. Pam Bondi. So many other great Americans are going to be there. And uh, I think it's just a way, it's a great way to kickstart the new year um, with the Trump first agenda. Yeah. I think uh, in addition to all those awesome people who are going to be there and we love all those you know, people who are involved with Trump campaign, all the Arizona friends are going to be showing up too. You're going to hear from Mark Fincham, uh, Carrie Lake, who's been on our show. She's absolutely amazing and going to be the next governor of Arizona for sure. In addition to that, everyone's favorite pillow farmer, Mike Lindell, nice. has been added to the guest list as a speaker as well. So can't have, you can't have to talk about someone who likes to introduce President Trump a little bit more enthusiastically than uh, good old Mike Lindell. We love him. And if you want a best night's sleep, Give you a little, you know, 15% off or uh, what up to 66% off enter steak at checkout. Get those Giza dream pillows or the my slippers that I'm wearing right now. They're pretty amazing. Stop it. Cash, before we cut with you today, first, we want to thank you. You're awesome, but you're busy and and you're really an important person to the whole Patriot movement, regardless if it's with your, you know, uh, organization you got going on, the things you're still doing behind the scenes with President Trump and everything that's going on, you know, with the country right now and, and just kind of holding the line for everybody. So we appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. We do want to direct everybody. Listen, we've had our sixth Twitter account nuked last week. We were Oof. very sad. Very sad. No, no strikes, no take down your tweets, nothing. I no just reason. Open it up white screen. So to the burner phone it was, and now follow us at steak number four, abbreviation of breakfast on Twitter, and, and you'll find us there. That's the thing I want to ask you real quick before before we get your organization. How do you survive without having a huge social media footprint? Where do you get your memes from? Uh, I don't know. I don't have any social media. I've got fightwithcash.com. I've never had social media. I'm not going to have social media. Um <laughs> <laughs> Basically, I put up everything I do down there for free from my show, Caster's Corner, um, to all the stuff we're talking about, to my merchandise. And everybody that goes on the website can email me directly. And they do. And I respond. Nice. Um, yes, so, you, you know, I send people there and I tell them, look, don't send me silly things. But if you want to, you can. But send me your defamation cases. Send me how you got kicked off Twitter or, or Facebook or how you got uh, defamed in the mainstream media. And that's the whole point. We're raising money. And we're going to continue to raise money the rest of the year and do live events. And we're going to take your cases to court because clearing your name for everyday Americans and taking it to the fake news media is how you neutralize the social media nonsense. And, uh, you know, once TMTG and all that gets going and we get Truth Social up and running, I think yeah. we're going to have a lot of different platforms where Americans can actually uh, operate an ecosystem that's friendly to our values. So we're getting there. But, you, you know, I tell everybody. Get the hell off Twitter. Get the hell off Facebook. Like, screw those guys. Yeah. What do you need them for? You don't. You're, you have a great show. You have great content. Get it out there through 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 our ecosystem. Um, and I think it's going to work. It's Look, it's a little tough in the beginning, but um, I'll keep hammering. Yeah, and you definitely have been hammering it. We're going to live link your, your organization and the merch store in our show description today. And, uh, again, we really appreciate you taking time to join us on this Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast. This is top counterterrorism expert and former chief of staff to the DOD, Mr. Cash Patel. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much, guys. Well, that was good to hear Cash. Always, always a pleasure to have him on the show, and we'll definitely be having him back in, in a couple months to get an update from him. Uh, I, I think, uh, you know, what we were talking about news-related before we, we took a quick break there was, you know, the start of what would turn out to be a really bad week for the Biden regime, uh, probably worse than than most people were going to give it credit for going in because, 
you know, it seems like we end this show on, we could find a funny clip to end the show on every week, but it's like one of those ones where you're laughing and crying at the same time, because as soon as we're done recording, we go back out into the real world where inflation's through the roof, the border's wide open, you know, our national defense and security looks like crap. And then there's the whole COVID narrative. So we were pretty surprised to hear uh, yesterday some poll numbers came out. Um, But before we get to that, I want to talk about another report that came out on the same day. It looked like, you know, we were going to need all hands on deck to be bailing water from the beginning. These inflation numbers where we saw um, a 7% price index raise since the start of the administration, a producer price index increase almost 10%, um, and then inflation at now a 42-year high. Let's hear this little uh, tidbit here on the, on the breaking news with the economy. And predicted to continue climbing throughout this year. Where we're seeing it is everywhere, but two of the biggest culprits right now are gasoline prices up more than 58% over the last year and used cars and trucks, which are up 31.4% over the last year. And you're really seeing it across the board in household items. Meats, poultry, fish up 12.8%. Furniture and bedding up 11.8%. Coffee, 7.5% higher in price than it was this time last year. Snacks up 5.9%. Even the home itself, more expensive this year than last, rents up 3%. And there are really two culprits behind this. You have both the supply chain disruptions that have been brought about by the pandemic, but there's also demand. Americans continue to consume and buy even though prices are going higher. That's led to shortages, and then it leads prices higher as well. The Federal Reserve, TJ, is taking this very seriously. This type of inflation can ultimately derail an economy and an administration now mostly peaceful last week you said you were staying in colorado at the time and and we talked about some of the empty shelves and stuff we saw there grand old memes what's it like in what part of the country you're in right now well yeah i'm i'm i live in uh, new york city right now but you know they, they can try and spin this any way they want this inflation situation but at the end of the day, you know, these uh, uh, the American people see what's going on. And, you know, this this hits people where it hurts. Uh, you know, it's this, the, the COVID narrative and then, you know, crime, of course, those those three things, you know, they, you can't get away from people see that stuff. Right. So I, mean, I, I don't really know what they're doing here. Uh, I'm not you know, I obviously want our country uh, to be healthy and succeed economically, but uh, this is not looking good for them. Uh, you know, so so something's got to turn around. I really hope it does. I don't want our country to fail here. No, definitely not in something like this, where the economy was so strong just a year ago. Uh, we 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 did a, you know, we talked about last week out here in Southern California. We're starting to see a lot of supply shortage and a lot of empty shelves out here uh, across all end stores, from like the high end grocery stores all the way down to Walmart. And the lines are getting longer, and it just seems like whatever they're offering, people are going and just frantically buying up anyway, whether it be aisles of like beach chairs or paper cups. You know, those are added there just as fast as they're getting stocked. But you definitely have to plan a little bit differently when you're... uh, People are hoarding beach chairs now? Yeah. Well, I mean, just look at the difference. You know, at the height of the Trump administration with the with the tax breaks and all this other stuff, if you if you factor in the inflation, it affected about 31 to 32 percent of your overall paycheck. Not horrible. Not the best that it's ever been, but pretty strong economy. You know, taking home around 70 percent of your paycheck at the end of the day after factoring the, you know, cause of inflation and stuff like that is, is pretty damn good right now with the Biden administration, especially in some of those places with the uh, gas shortages, both natural for heating your homes and, and, and the supply shortages we're seeing in the store up to 57% of your paycheck is being affected by this inflation rate. Yeah. My, 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 uh, 
gas and electric bill was big this month. And it had, I mean, it's been cold, but it's not like we're running the heat 24-7. Nope. So, you know, it's, it's just something really concerning. Had to turn off the hot tub. So as the White House tried to scramble, well, the fake White House, the studio that they're operating out of right now, confirmed according to Cash Patel as well. Um, and, and we still can't figure out the reason behind that. Although we did, I'll, I'll segue real quick for all you conspiracy theorists out there, the whole Biden wall going up around the White House. So Cash weighed in on that. There was a project that was started in 2019 under the Trump administration because the wall surrounding the White House only stood at six feet. The contract was not finished before, um, you know, Donald Trump left office and Joe Biden took over. So apparently that's what they're doing. I'm surprised they didn't take it down like they did everything else. They are finishing the wall and they are making it 10 feet higher. So two of Donald Trump's promises are happening now, but it's not to fortify the White House from anything. I know there's been some rumors on social media going around about that. Cash Patel, who talks to the president on a regular basis, basically clarified it for us. Um, But the next thing I want to touch on are those poll numbers that come out. Uh, Right now, Joe Biden uh, is is pulling out off the latest Quinnipiac poll, which is by no means right-leaning at 33%, but Steve Bannon did a really good job yesterday of breaking down some of those demographics. Um, Independence is around 25% favorability overall, all age groups, and then the 18 to 35 is uh, 25% also um, polling favorability and uh, thinking he's doing a good job. Let's hear them kind of weigh in as these numbers broke yesterday on the news at these poll numbers and saying we can't dig ourselves out of this and the mere fact that normally in a white house you have multiple tools that you can use you use your cabinet members you use your vice president you go out there and sell your message your message of hope of prosperity they have nothing to sell they have an invisible cabinet they have a weak vice president the president can't is not even coherent when he speaks and then on the messaging itself let's take a look at this story you're talking about how are they going to combat inflation economic woes you've talked about it supply chain crisis uh the wages yeah they're going up but at the same time you've got inflation eating into those wages on top of that covid fatigue forced vaccine mandates. I mean, it really is, there There really is no messaging coming out of the White House other than get vaccinated and it's a pandemic of the unvaccinated. It's not working, it's not sufficient. They can't turn the ship around. They've lost independence, they're even losing Democrats. And this is why you're seeing a Democrat party sh- quickly shifting to voting rights, trying to change the Senate rules. Why, Stuart? Because if they can stay on this message of being of racism and identity politics, which is their safe zone, they actually think that they're going to sway the American people. I think it's a failed, failed strategy. What do you guys think? I think she was right, and we'll we'll get to it in our next segment. That yeah. that pretty much would be the tail of the tape there. But but getting back to those polling numbers, is it shocking either one of you guys after the rigged and stolenness that was surrounding the 2020 presidential election and the things that happened thereafter with Stop the Steal leading up to January 6th that we would see a president who supposedly garnered over 80 million votes now hovering uh, at 33% overall favorability and 25% amongst independents? Well, if he did get that many votes, then there's probably a lot of people changing their mind it would mean that every millennial would have to have voted and they were the only people that voted now they're the only people that they're polling because they're the the participation trophy uh, applicants there what do you guys think grand old memes that southern dude you want to weigh in on those awesome poll numbers for joe biden yeah i think uh i don't know who was speaking there but i think she was uh she was definitely correct you know people are tired of this uh 
this racism narrative and, you know, they, they've compounded it with the, uh, the terrorist uh, narrative of, of January 6th and then, you know, labeling parents as, uh, you know, uh, uh, parents against uh, CRT and mass as, as uh, racist uh, terrorists uh, being looked into by the FBI. So I think people are seeing through this and I don't think it's going to work next cycle. I mean, of course, we know they're going to drop some type of, uh, you know, race, uh, race incident right before leading up to uh, maybe even 22 and then 24. But I, I mean, I don't think uh, I don't see it working uh, again. Uh, I, I think you have a lot of people seeing through this stuff. Yeah, I 100 percent agree. Um, I think uh, I mean, it's not really surprising as poll numbers are that bad and they're honestly probably worse. But yes. Because like in in 2020, like I have liberal friends out here in Colorado, and they they absolutely hate Joe Biden, and that was during the election year against Trump, you know. So, and it it hasn't gone any better for him. You know, I think she brought up a good point where basically their only messaging is pushing vaccine and get vaccinated, get vaccinated. And I think that's because you know you're coming up to re-election and and they need a win somehow. So they're gonna they're gonna win win against COVID. Um, you know, I, I would expect uh, a major turn or something, you know, you know, in the next four months, maybe of like, you know, wake up one day and be like, hey, guys, COVID is done, blah, 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 because like, right, they're absolutely getting they absolutely got crushed on Afghanistan. They're absolutely getting crushed on the economy. You know, there's, you know, they're saying, you know, inflation's like seven, seven and a half percent, but it's it's actually much higher. higher. Yeah, it's Closer the to hi- 10. highest. It's, it's I've, I've seen numbers where it's more like 15 because they stopped uh, they stopped including things like food and housing in the uh, in the index, which would, you know, so comparatively to like 40 years ago, it's it's actually much higher um, because, you know, what's yeah, leave the, those what's ones the, out. What's the quotes that? Yeah. You know, cause who, who needs food and housing, right? Yeah. Like those aren't, those aren't basic consumer needs. You know, it's really gives credence to the quote stats don't lie. Statisticians do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I don't, I th- I don't I think, think they're going to be able that- to, to just let it go. I don't think they're going to be able to just be like, Oh, guess what? COVID's gone. I don't think that's an option. I think it's going to have to be something just epic in the news cycle. That's going to have to just like dwarf it, like terrorist attack or something horrible is going to happen. Yeah. Well, I think I think that's like why they've been part of the reason they've been pushing the vaccine so hard is because, you know, they can basically be like, hey, hey, look, we got like all these people vaccinated now, you know, and now COVID has, you know, and because everyone got vaccinated, now COVID has has gone away. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah it definitely is probably mm-hmm. one of the angles they're eventually going to have to take. Well, I mean, they're just by default with the whatever the Omicron or whatever this new flu thing going around is like, I mean, if it's producing antibodies for everybody that's getting it because everyone's getting it, then we are rapidly approaching, if not much surpassing herd immunity. I mean, right I, now. I've seen them trying to pass out all these articles over the last week or so. Everything from like the Omicron variant gives you antibodies for future variants and the flu, possibly the cold. I saw yesterday yeah. over the counter nasal spray now gives you up to eight hours of protection what? against all variants of COVID because it's like mm-hmm. apparently spraying Lysol up your nose. Yeah. Well, they also they also need Bleach. everybody to get vaccinated. I should have added this before I just thought of it. They need everyone for the most part to get vaccinated because now we're going to start to really see the side effects of the vaccine. So if everybody were like, you know, the majority of people were to be vaccinated, then it would kind of cover up like because like we're the control group, for example. We're not. Yeah, vaccinated. there's no control group without without unvaccinated people. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, I mean, that right there, you know, they know what's coming. So they're, tr- they're scrambling as much as they can to get as many people vaccinated to cover that up too and blame it on something else. Well, you I mean, know? they're already blaming climate change. So oh, yeah, that. exactly. Those damn icebergs causing breast cancer and mitocarditis. Let's go, Brandon. I agree. <laughs> Me too. So Jen Sackey was asked yesterday, Peter Ducey, I'm sure after all this news is breaking over the course of the day, couldn't wait to get in the press room. Ooh, yeah. And even though most of the people have been kicked out, he still does have his seat. And uh, he, he inquired about, you know, some of the bad things we've been seeing from the Brandon administration for the last couple of days. And where are the decades long l- annals of experience Joe Biden promised An- annals? to bring the D.C. Well, it's turned into annals. <laughs> Oh, I got it. Okay, Peter, go ahead. Last one. Thank you, Jen. President Biden promised to bring decades of D.C. experience to the Oval Office, but Build Back Better has not passed. Voting rights apparently not going to pass. And vaccine requirements that he likes are apparently illegal. Uh, Well, first, Peter, I would say if you look back at last year and what we were able to accomplish, that include getting the American Rescue Plan passed, uh, a package that has uh, has contributed to cutting childhood poverty by 40 percent, has helped ensure we are moving at a faster pace toward economic growth, toward a record low unemployment rate, helped ensure schools more than 95 percent are open across the country. He also pressed, despite skeptics, uh, to get a bipartisan infrastructure bill passed. One that we have just we're just announcing today, the fact that 15,000 bridges are going to be repaired. That was despite many skeptics. And because of his efforts, 200 million Americans are now vaccinated. The work of an administration continues after one year and it will he will continue to press forward on all of those priorities. Oof. Yeah. Every single thing she said was a lie. Not only that, but they were a whole bunch of non-answer lies as well. Yeah, like of 50 years of D.C. experience. Well, you're showing what being a lobbyist group lackey for 50 years looks like when they finally get to occupy the Oval Office. Me. I think that's one of the biggest things because you're seeing all of the big corporations, big tech, big box stores, big pharma. They're all living fatter than they've ever lived before. And who's getting fucked? The middle class, the blue collar class, working families, kids especially. You know, when you have 5,500 schools in America and you say 90 some of the percent of them is open. Okay. That's still several hundred schools that are still closed. That's fucking unacceptable. You know, and you should be able to have a little bit more control on that than the White House. But you want to know what they do? This is the bullshit that they pull. It was just announced today that the Biden administration is going to be rescinding any COVID aid they sent the state of Arizona and Florida because of their mask mandates. You want to know how we combat that? Donald Trump just announced, breaking news stay exclusive, that a week and a half following his rally this weekend in Arizona, he'll be doing another one in Texas. Nice. 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 So that's coming down the pike now as we round third, head home. Last subject, probably the most important one we talked about last week, and hopefully we won't have to talk about it too much more after this week, is the Biden voting bill is officially looking pretty dead. Um, You know, it started off in the beginning of the week. He gave a speech after our show on Tuesday uh, where he talked about all of the things related to this bill. Uh, Not really. I'm just kidding because he never does. They use projection as usual. And in this clip I'm going to play right now, We've gone way past racist. It's like when we're going to do ludicrous speed in space balls. Ooh. Now, if you don't vote for these bills, you're Confederate. What? <laughs> I wish I was joking. <laughs> you stand for democracy. Yes or no. There's one thing every senator, every American should remember. History has never been kind to those who've sided with voter suppression over voters' rights. Oh. And it would be even be less kind for those who side with election subversion. So I ask every elected official in America. He's screaming again. 
How do you want to be remembered? I miss the whisper yelling. At consequential moments in history, they present a choice. Do you want to be the side, the side of Dr. King or George Wallace? Do you want to be on the side of John Lewis or Bull Connor? Oh. Do you want to be on the side of Abraham Lincoln or Jefferson Davis? Oh. This is the moment to decide, to defend our elections, to defend our democracy. <coughs> and if you do that, you will not be alone. Oh, scissor me timbers. I saw I saw a tweet where they actually showed that he play, plagiarized that from someone earlier in the week. Oh, imagine that. Imagine that. I was wondering about that, actually. That's hilarious. <laughs> All eight people there clapped for him because there was probably people with whips and, and hot prods like hitting him. I said, fucking clap for the old man. He's <laughs> everybody, yelling. Everybody was getting a free Jeep if they clapped. Oh, man. So, yeah, we've gone to ludicrous speed now, which apparently if we don't want to vote for free-for-all voting for everybody and federalization of, of federal elections, and we're now Confederates. Worst Braveheart speech ever. <laughs> if- well, I'm confused, though, because the 2020 election was the most secure election in history, but we need to pass this this voting bill to secure secure the election that's already secure. Right, and, and you know, somebody made a good point for it in the last 24 hours. I can't remember if it was a tweet, if I watched it in a show or heard it on a podcast. The first person that you hear that comes out and says, because of my race, I was unable to vote in X, Y, and Z election. It will be literally the first case of that ever coming out regarding this. They're, 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 if, if they had these problems going on, like they're saying in all these speeches, it's racist not to let people vote without ID or mail-in ballots or drop boxes, Zuckerberg money, Lizardberg money and all that other bullshit that's going on. Like, you know, they were complaining the other day. Uh, people can't bring other people's ballots to the polling stations to drop them off. Well, no, they fucking can't unless there's like a medical reason for it or they're deployed, which is clearly stated on every state's ballot. They shouldn't be allowed to bring in other people's ballots. That's ballot harvesting. Right. The other thing I don't understand is like, I need a, I need a, you know, like in places now like Washington DC, right? I need a, I need an ID to, to go buy food, but it's, it's racist to ask for an ID to vote. How dare you? Like, I I mean, these people were saying that their voting was super safe, not just in this election, but when Trump ran against Hillary, right? So what did they they were, but before that, they were saying that the election wasn't secure and it wasn't safe, you know, and then they said it was safe. And then now they're saying it's not safe. Like it, they flip flop so much, but I think honestly, they're just afraid of what's coming. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the referendum that they're going to get in the midterm election is going to be like one they haven't seen in a hundred years. Well, that's the thing is they know because if they lose control now, they're not going to get it back because people Never. are just like, what the fuck are you doing? You're done. And when a that's portion it. of losing control shows those awful poll numbers combined with the Democrats that aren't voting along party lines with them right now because they're basically having, you know, Chuck Schumer's, oh, we're having closed-door meetings. Joe Biden, oh, we're having closed-door meetings. You said Joe Manchin, Kristen Cinema, and the other four to six Democrats who won't, aren't voting with Build Back Better or the voting things, what do you think? They're telling them all this bullshit, and at the end of the day, all of those Democrats, those moderate Democrats, I'm going to get literally fucking voted out if I vote with this. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, but don't you know, you know passing the agenda, holding the party lines, I'm going to get voted out. I'm going well, they to also lose see to what's coming and they don't want to be on the wrong side of history too. imagine, you know, what I mean? well, if, gonna... they have, if they have a, any semblance of conscience, like, you know, like, and a heart, 
Let's the, the, you know what I mean? Like people. No, you're 100 percent right. Yeah, so. I think trying to make it easier for uh, all the Ill illegal immigrants that they imported in. Uh, so, you know, uh, that's why a lot of these, um, a lot of these uh, cities are, I think in New York City, they're trying to get illegal immigrants to vote. Um, I, I think I think they're trying to get that demographic into yep. uh, more normalize it, normalize yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, they say it starts with municipal elections, but, you know, so I don't people think who, we're talking. Americans anymore, you know? No, we definitely aren't. We definitely aren't. When they're talking about federalizing elections, they're making it like it's the the blueprint that that Time Magazine article used with was a combination of working with agencies in the federal government, past and former government officials, big tech and big uh, labor unions, the educational department to like set up the perfect storm combined with COVID or whatever other disaster they want to do when it's time to run a federal election and make it seem like we're going to cheat in so many different ways, a little bit here, a little bit there, every way possible and spread the money around so thin you'll never be able to blame it on, yeah. on, yeah. Who, on who literally did it because there's so many hands touching it. And, uh, you know, they took that and co combined with past practice principles and, and had a perfect storm to where, uh, an election which they still call a referendum on Donald Trump to where he garnered 13 million more votes than he did in the first election. So that's not a referendum on him or his job. It's the greatest achievement that a sitting president has ever had in the history of votes. Um, and they turned it into what the disaster is we're looking at now. Republicans tried to get out ahead of this. I'm going to play a three-clip montage real quick. We're going to have Kevin McCarthy, Little Marco, and then Lion Ted back to back to back talking about this bill before it kind of came to a head yesterday. Struggling students. It might be the single most destructive policy imposed on our children this century. The negative consequences can last a lifetime. The only question we have now is how do we save our kids from more disruptions to their education in the days and weeks to come? The President of the United States could have gone to Chicago or any other of the 5,400 schools that started off this year closed to send a clear signal the kids belong in the classroom. Instead, he was in Atlanta yesterday, delivering a speech that was so self-serving and out of touch that even Stacey Abrams kept her distance. We know she thick. No, 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 she thick. Stacey Abrams? Oh, super thick. Very thick. Damn, yeah. boy, he thick, boy! That's a thick-ass boy! Damn! Little, little Marco? I think almost everyone would tell you that what happened on January 6th here was a terrible thing. It should never have happened, and it should never happen again. But I don't care how many candlelight vigils and musical performances you have from the cast of Hamilton. You're not going to convince at least more, most normal and sane people that our government last year was almost overthrown by a guy wearing a Viking hat and Speedos. Okay? And I don't care... You know, how Is many of these speedos? speeches the president gives in which he shouts out this hyperbole and, and, and all this melodrama, you're not going to convince people that having a state pass a law that says, for example, that you have to produce an identification is the same as segregation. Nevertheless, despite the fact that that's what most people in this country are worried about is inflation and all these other things, that's not what we're working on here. That's not what we'll spend this week on. That's not what the priority of this administration has been. That's not what the president is giving speeches about. They don't okay, You may care about inflation back home. They care about the fact their crisis is that there's some laws in this country, for example, some states in this country that do not automatically force everyone to register to vote. They just automatically register everyone. That's the crisis. 
Chuck Schumer and the Democrats are desperate to break the Senate rules and try to engage in a corrupt power grab. Hmm. This bill that they're pushing, the corrupt the politicians worst power grabs act, of them all, the corrupt would ones. undermine democracy across <laughs> the country. It takes laws adopted by democratically elected legislatures and subjects them to the arbitrary veto of politically radical, unelected bureaucrats at the Department of Justice. Mm. President Biden has nominated hard-left ideologues to the Department of Justice, including two of the leading advocates of abolishing the police in the country. And what Chuck Schumer and the Democrats are proposing is putting those ideologues in charge of election laws across this country. Hell no. What Schumer and the Democrats are trying to do is strike down every single voter ID law in the country, even though 80% of Americans support them, even though a large majority of African-American voters support voter ID laws. Democrats have decided that voter fraud benefits them politically. And they're willing to go to any length to tear down the reasonable common sense protections that protect the integrity of our elections. You know, one thing I heard that kind of made a little light bulb go off in my head was, if we circle back to one of Jen Psaki's comments when Peter Ducey was talking about Joe Biden's 50 years of public office experience and some of the non-accomplishments that he's done, one of the things she mentioned was that 235 million Americans supposedly have been vaccinated. Let's just use How those many? numbers. 230 yeah. million. Let's just use those numbers and say they're true. So let's take out the kids. 50, 60 million? Take the kids out of there, okay? Let's just say we're going high. 50, 60 million kids have been vaccinated already, okay? We can pretty much agree with those numbers. I don't know what that gives you left, but I do know that number is more than the total of 74 plus 81 million people that voted in the election who would have have to shown some form of valid government ID to receive their COVID shot and or said boosters. So if there's already, you know, 190 million people producing ideas to get vaccinated and they're all adults and of voting age, then why do we have to think that it's racist other than it just being bullshit to say passing voter laws that say you need to show an ID to vote? But you don't think they're going to let you get vaccinated with your name written on a napkin or like a Costco card or a, <laughs> like I just got let out of jail card. Those are even better. They're orange. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, that, that kind of blows a hole in the narrative and kind of where the wave crested. Um, you guys hear those three more prominent, boomerish, typical Republicans kind of going off on talking points, though they did make a lot of them. Some of these radical DOJ officials that are getting nominated and confirmed uh, by the Biden Senate right now are ones that are looking to completely dissolve any kind of laws that, that protect elections and how important it is with this amazing crop of America First candidates Mostly peaceful. I'll start with you. What, what do you think about this whole, you know, uh, voting rights bill and, and how dangerous it is to protect elections moving forward? Um, I think uh, I think I think you you see them do stuff like this because because one right they they know they're in trouble come midterms. So if they can get this bill passed, that uh, alleviates um, a lot of their problems and. Uh, finding votes that are in favor of them come midterms and two, you know, they're, they're getting crushed on all these domestic issues like inflation and stuff like that. And by, by pushing, pushing like this, this complete bullshit of a voting rights bill hard, it, it forces the discussion to shift to, to kind of counter, you know, kind of counter their chess move of, 
of, uh, you know, having to talk about like that. It's, it's insane to say that, you know, someone can't produce an ID to show they are who they are, who they are. Yeah, I 100% agree. Yeah, it's everything is just counteracting exactly the things that they're saying or counter contradicting. I'm sorry. It's just amazing. Like you can't, I mean, they contradict themselves constantly with just about everything, but this is like the most blatant, like, Hey, you got to show your ID. Hey, you got to show your papers. Hey, your ID is papers. Like get your shit together. Come on. Papers, 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 or plastic. Well, this kind of crested yesterday and, and in a surprise appearance on the Senate floor, not Joe Manchin, who had been making comments about this all week, but Kristen Cinema appeared, obviously fed up with every time that when she's working at ASU in her regular job of teaching class and needs to go to the restroom and is trying to take a shit, and the same people that follow Joe Manchin home either on the hood of his Maserati or via kayak to his houseboat appear in the bathroom at Arizona State University and pound on the door while she's trying to drop one, appeared on the Senate floor yesterday. <laughs> they don't have like of- a staff bathroom? She did go in the staff bathroom before she, she just went in and went right in the stall and they just like five of them went in behind her guys yeah. and gals. How dare I call them either of that, but let's hear her kind of weigh in on what she thought about this whole you voting not, thing. You and don't have to show your teacher's ID to get into the bathroom. Those Probably. To contest these laws in court and to invest significant resources into these states to better organize and stop efforts to restrict access at the ballot box. And I strongly support and will continue to vote for legislative responses to address these state laws, including the Freedom to Vote Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act that the Senate is currently considering. (laughs) I support these bills because they strengthen Americans' access to the ballot box and they better ensure that Americans' votes are counted fairly. It is through elections that Americans make their voices heard, select their representatives, and guide the future of our countries and our community. These bills help treat the symptoms of the disease, but they do not fully address the disease itself. (laughs) And while I continue to support these bills, I will not support separate actions that worsen the underlying disease of division infecting our country. The debate over the Senate 60 vote threshold shines a light on our broader challenges. There's no need for me to restate my long-standing support for the 60-vote threshold to pass legislation. There's no need for me to restate its role protecting our country from wild reversals in federal policy. It is a view I've held during my years serving in both the U.S. House and the Senate, and it is the view I continue to hold. It is the belief that I have shared many times in public settings and in private settings. Now, grand old memes, regardless of how cringe it is to have to hear her voice and how much she virtue singled for a minute 40 of that two minute blurb right there talking about how racism is the real disease and all of this at the end of the day is the only thing you care about hearing is that the fact that she says it, you know, she stands by saying upholding the filibuster rule and it needs 60 people to pass into law, real legislation that changes federal something. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the greatest part of all this is that Democrats used the filibuster that day, uh, you know, for <laughs> some reason, or I, I forget exactly why. But I think that's that's really ironic. But, um, yeah, they're, they're going to keep pushing it because they know that, you know, with their slim majority, they're not going to get anything done. Um, so, 
Yeah, I, I think they're just, you know, back to the, the voting rights. They're just they're just going to keep drumming up this, uh, you know, the, the the race narrative. I think the voting rights helps them with that uh, to, to drum up that race narrative going into 22. Um, so so they're going to keep pounding that. Yeah, good thing there's an overwhelming majority of America first candidates who aren't white. So now they get to be all the black and brown faces of white supremacy <laughs> running on Trump, Trump era policies and, 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 and politics in the midterm elections. As you guys could probably uh, theorized, Joe Byron was really not happy. Bing bong. As soon as Kristen Sinema took <laughs> Bing the, bong took to the Senate floor, he came out to uh, scream a little bit more in the last clip we'll hear of him this week. Let's hear him kind of weigh in on his massive failure that his entire administration's been so far. First of all, let me take my mask off. Don't ask questions about complicated subjects like, can you get this done? I hope we can get this done. What? The honest to God answer is, I don't know whether we can get this done. It's better. Is this mic on? No, there I we guess, go. Anyway. <laughs> and uh, and well, I'm not sure either. But anyway, I hope we can get this done. He's kind of retarded. But I'm not sure. But one thing for certain. One thing for certain. Be honest with you. Like every other... I'm kind of retarded. Civil rights bill that came along. If we missed the first time, we could come back and try it a second time. There's already two, we missed two bills time. that are standing from the 60s. Yeah. We missed this time. And the state legislative bodies continue to change the law, not as to who can vote, but who gets to count the vote. The <laughs> count the vote. Darn 10th Amendment. Count the vote. Count the vote. It's about election subversion. Ugh. Not just whether or not people get to vote. Who counts the vote? That's what this is about. That's what makes this so different than anything else we've ever done. I don't know that we can get it done, but I know one thing. As long as I have a breath in me, as long as I'm in the White House, as long as I'm engaged at all, right, so I'm going to be fighting finished. to change the way these legislatures have moving. Thank these, you. What is staters? Now, now, if I was... As great these um, legislators have moving a meme creator as either one of these guys are, which are the gold standard between you two. Um, I would figure out a way that while that speech is going on and he's continuously saying, who counts the votes? Who counts the votes? Who, <laughs> who, does, who does number two work for? We just go to file footage of reports of places on election night being closed at 10 p.m. And then pictures of those people in Atlanta, like taking the boxes out from underneath the tables and running (laughs) through the machines or the video they had of shopping carts with voting machines going from across the street to the building where they were going to get stored and all the other funny stuff we've seen over the last year and a half regarding the 2020 presidential election. Um, A lot of grandpa yelling this week, right? So little Fauci, medium sacky, high grandpa. (laughs) How are you guys feeling about uh, that voting rights bill being dead now after the developments of yesterday? And uh, this is something that between four and six Democrats just aren't going to vote for. So it looks like they're going to have to figure out something else to virtue signal on now um, moving forward. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty uh, I'm hopeful that it's that it's dead, you know, still kind of, you know, don't. uh, Yeah, never, never count on count on it being completely dead or, you know, them finding some way to get these guys to flip or something like that. But I think it, 
I think it certainly looks promising. Yeah, it's definitely something moving forward. Uh, you know, we're going to have to see. Jen Saki today was asked about it in our last clip of the day covering the news. Um, so what the president's backup plan is, she was extremely aggravated at this point and held her press conference super early today because I'm assuming that everyone that's been in D.C. haggling over this shit for the last couple of weeks and realizing that nothing's going to pass, everything from Build Back Better to COVID mandates, now these poll numbers, inflation numbers, and finally the voter bill yesterday, she's ready to pack up and probably head up to Delaware with the families here. Are they, like, changing the time frame? Just Go ahead. What is the president's, I guess, the administration's people? backup plan when it comes to voting rights and getting legislation passed? Is there a backup plan? As you heard the president say when he came out of the caucus meeting, uh, we're going to keep at it. We're going to stay at it. So uh, the president's, no backup plan. What does that mean, I guess, is what people would That like means, Caitlin, know. that any piece of legislation that's ever passed uh, that's hard, that's difficult, goes through a ch- goes through some ups and downs and she, goes through some challenges. That doesn't like, mean you give up. Really, Caitlin? That's not what leadership is. Leadership is continuing to fight for what's right, continuing to fight to get something done. Uh, that means sometimes it fails. We don't know what will happen next. That means sometimes uh, there are or our gaps between when you get to move forward. We're going to have to determine what the next steps are. But in the meantime, the president is going to continue to make calls. He's going to continue to engage with his colleagues. Uh, and that's where his focus is on at this point in time. You know what the meantime is, Noah? What? It's today. It's any time. Oh, it's right now. Every day. Right now. In- incredibly now. Yes. Especially right now. <sighs> and you know, it's also just then. I'd like all of our listeners to take all of this news that we brought you today with a grain of salt. I see people like, you know, there's been a lot of them online. I took some screenshots yesterday. Of course, Bannon did like a celebratory show saying that yesterday was the day that the regime died. And, you know, when things like that happen in the, in the last week happen, it's damning things that you can't get back from. And some of those numbers, there is a little bit of truth to that. Uh, George Papa weighed in yesterday. I'm reading a tweet from him now. Biden's own party abandoned him today, effectively making him a lame duck president less than a year into his presidency. The Supreme Court struck down vaccine mandates for large businesses. Uh, we had the stuff with inflation, the poll numbers, the voter bill. And then, of course, Hunter Biden's ex-wife is doing a tell-all expose. It's not even 5 p.m. <laughs> Not a good day for Joe. Is he officially a lame duck? Is that like a is that a thing right now? Do you think? I mean, like we've <laughs> talked about today, when his own party is not going to carry the line on some of the things that he wants to get, you know, across, and then you have all this stuff going on with the January sixth committee falling apart, and you know, it got so bad yesterday that I think Jack Posobiec was taking still shots of Adam Kinzinger's chin and stomach and like <laughs> highlighting huh? them and tweeting them, mm. and he's like, not a good look. Uh. So, so if, if we're there and really not worried about all the bad stuff that's going on in the world right now, I think we could kind of like take a breath, maybe regroup as memers and, and bringers of the news and, and, and try to bring truth and, and stuff. But the battle is far from over. At the end of the day, all these people are still in office. They still have a large hand that controls a lot of the things that go on in our country right now. And we're not going to get any relief until the midterm elections. And that's just the fact of the matter. I want to uh, close by letting both of our guests today kind of give us what uh, their hard take is on moving forward. Mostly peaceful. I'll go with you first. Um, I think right now, kind of the thing that's been on my mind is kind of, I think you've kind of touched on a little bit, it, but is pushing American first candidates, mm-hmm. especially in uh, like these midterm elections to, you know, hopefully not only beat out, you know, people who are, you know, very anti-American, like a lot of the, the Democrat candidates, candidates are but also some of the more uh 
establishment uh, Republicans too that you know give a lot of lip service but don't uh, don't back it up with their actions. Yeah, one hundred percent. I think uh, you know it's one of those things. Listen, we all know what happened in the twenty twenty presidential election. We've had experts weigh in on it. Everyone from like Seth Ketchel to people who brought Donald Trump folders full of super classified information every single day in the Oval Office, handed it to him and had a conversation with him. Like, we all know it. We all know what happened. Here's the thing. If you're not going to find a federal judge, a governor, or a secretary of state who's going to decertify these votes right now, we have to know what happened, work on everything we can every single day to make sure it never happens again, and that's with packing the polls with watchers, not with ballots, Mm. people to count and tabulate these votes and, and just fix the voting laws in the states where you know Donald Trump, there's no way he could have lost those four or five states where his leads were so insurmountable, especially Arizona and Pennsylvania. Yeah, If he would have won those states, we would have been talking about something a whole lot different now than a Trump rally this weekend. We would have been talking about probably another one of his achievements, but it's good because it was a wake-up call for a whole bunch of people who just kind of like probably enjoyed the benefits of his you know, administration for a long time. But we have to look forward to these midterm elections. There are some candidates out there, like candidates we've never seen before. Anthony Sabatini is probably one of the hardest-working men in the country. He's going to be a force when he gets to Washington, D.C. Same thing for Joe Kent, probably someone not less qualified than him to bring all the different tools he has in his belt to the table when he goes to D.C. And then all of those former Trump administration officials who decided – I don't want to go work for a lobby group. I don't want to go to work for, you know, big military or big pharma or some, you know, conservative think tank or, you know, sit at the Young Republicans Club and just give speeches and stuff like that. I want to go literally make sure that this shit happens again. It doesn't happen again because of the administrative state and all those people who are in the way of getting these agendas out. Uh, Grand Old Memes, it was awesome having you on today as well. Why don't you uh, give a little take on what you see moving forward here and... uh, you know, we're going to get all of your guys' information after you're done uh, giving a little bit of a spiel. Yeah, uh, so I, I think I agree with you. This is a, a time to regroup. I think these two, uh, you know, the, the president, vice president, they, they're they just empty suits, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, there's a lot There's a lot of other people in play uh, between the globalists and, and the deep state operatives, you know, that, that are behind the scenes, and, and they're just taking the hit for, for those people right now. So... Uh, we really kind of need to peel the onion away and get and get to, uh, you know, what's really going on, because the, these people are just, uh, you know, they, they don't even know what they're talking about. And this this can't this can't be it for them. Uh, I, I think it's good to see, uh, you know, some things falling apart. But the, I, I definitely think they got some other things planned that, that we don't know about yet. So uh, we'll see. We'll see what's to come. And we can just, uh, you know, vote for for people that. Uh, you know, we're putting America first and see see what happens in 22. That's all we can do. Yeah, 100%. Grand old memes, we're going to stick with you. Obviously, anyone who is, they would have to be extremely new to social media to not follow either one of you guys. But starting with you, where can we direct our traffic? We're going to live link your accounts today in our show description and then hopefully share them with you so you could share them with your viewership. Yeah, uh, you can find me on Instagram or Twitter. Those are my uh, main platforms. Uh, it's at Grand Old Memes, one word, no underscores, no periods. Um, or you can visit my site, uh, grandoldmemes.com. I got all my links to all my social media accounts there. And uh, you can visit my shop or whatever. I uh, appreciate you having me on. And we'll be looking forward to having you back. Mostly peaceful. 
again, awesome having you on today. Definitely awesome commentary. I, I encourage you guys. I don't know if like one person can do it and then you can guys rotate members through or whatever. You guys need to figure out how to give a podcast because in addition to all the shit posting and top tier memes you guys make, your guys' opinions are extremely well thought out. And, and you could tell that some of that goes into the, well, probably a lot of it goes into the memes you guys make. And uh, we really appreciate you coming on the show and, and, and giving some, uh, you know, personality behind the accounts you guys have on social media. Where can our listenership find you on socials? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram. It's uh, mostly.peaceful.memes. I'm also on uh, on Twitter a lot more now, too. And uh, <coughs> excuse me. the uh, username for that is at mostly peaceful. And it's uh, spelled full, like F-U-L-L. Someone already had mostly peaceful with one L. Assholes. Definitely yeah. assholes. Dicks. <clears throat> well... Again, these are two members of the Patriotic Meme Alliance, Grand Old Memes and Mostly Peaceful Memes. Thanks for joining us on this Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast Podcast. Thanks for having us, guys. Cheers. Have a good weekend. You as well. Not a bad throw-together episode for uh, an Amanda Milius reschedule. I think the only way we could have topped her coming on the show today was to host Cash Patel again. And bring in two members of the Patriotic Meme Alliance, circling back with mostly peaceful memes and first-time appearance for grand old memes. What do you think, Noah? Yeah, I think it was good. Antoinette, not bad? Yeah, I think that episode was awesome. Yeah, I thought, you know what else is pretty awesome? All the places you could listen to the Steak for Breakfast podcast. (laughs) No Garrison? You should Garrison me right there. Nope, not yet. Well, you can listen to us on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Podbean, Google Podcasts, FM Player, and now iHeartRadio. Subscribe to the show and rate it. Leave a review. Nothing? Wow. And don't forget to download, listen, like, follow, and share Stay for Breakfast content. Show credits, as I already previously mentioned, Mr. Cash Patel, former chief of staff to the DOD, counterterrorism expert, and uh, all-around friend of Trump world. And then both members of the Patriotic Meme Alliance have joined us today, Mostly Peaceful Memes and Grand Old Memes, in addition to our internet friend, Cagbro, the Patriotic Babe Accounts, Kyle Becker of Kyle Becker News, the Patriotic Babe Accounts, Ms. Christina Bob of OAN, and Mr. Tom Pappert, Editor-in-Chief of the National File. Guys, don't forget to uh, go visit our sponsors. All of them are small, American-owned businesses, and by you giving them business, you help make them great again. My pillow. So apparently over the course of this show, Mike Gundell has been canceled by his bank. And I don't know where all of the pillow-related money is going to go to now, but let's just say he's keeping it all under a Giza Dream mattress. Oh, yeah. You can save bigly on that by entering promo code steak at checkout, visiting the website at mypillow.com forward slash steak, or by talking to a qualified pillow representative via the telephone at 1-800-658-8045. Odyssey, the top tier of ear gear. Noah loves them. I love looking at them. Odyssey.com. Find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Take care of your ears, especially if you're in the podcasting game. Stay Ready Gear holsters. You can find them at Stay Ready Gear USA. On the website, Facebook, Instagram, Melted Kydex Done Right. Donald Trump Kissy Face. Conceal Carry Holster. I need one of those. You don't think that those two things go together? Stay Ready Gear makes them go together just right. Man rubs. Had a pork butt yesterday. Nice. Everybody loved it. And it was encrusted with man rubs. I shook it. I rubbed it. I slow cooked it. I pulled it. 
slather it on some barbecue sauce. Num, num, num. Oh, there you go. Manrubs.com, Facebook and Instagram. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms. Easy to navigate newly designed website at westcoastsurvivalarms.com. You can find them on Facebook and Facebook Messenger or via the telephone, 619-870-6992. Get those shooty shoots taken care of right. First responders love Mediocre Medic, as we segue a little bit there. On-duty, off-duty gear, including sweatshirts, t-shirts, flip-flops, fanny packs, stickers, patches, and more. Pretty fire IG as well. MediocreMedic.com, find them on the internet. And last but not least, if you don't know about the Zero Fucks Duck, go ask Mark. Dumpbox.us, tactical gear, flare done right. They're on Facebook and Instagram also. Upcoming shows. On Tuesday, we're going to be circling back for our 100th episode. We're going to be joined by Norbin Laden, Geisha Montez, and hopefully creator of Steak for Breakfast, Nick. Next Friday, we're going to have a big America First candidate and agenda show. Nancy Mace's primary Donald Trump-endorsed challenger, Lynn's Piper Loomis, running in South Carolina. One is going to be joining us in addition to also Donald Trump-endorsed Bo Hines running in North Carolina 7. And finally... Tripoli, Donald Trump endorsed. State Senator, now running for the governor of Pennsylvania, Doug Mastriano, will be joining us as well. Going to be a great Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast. On the 25th of January, we're going to have Jameson Ellis running in Texas 2 and Jack Lombardi running in Illinois 14. On the 28th of January, we're going to have former Kaylee McInerney, Assistant Press Secretary, now running in New Hampshire 1, Caroline Levitt joining us. In addition to Christina Bob will be circling back to do the news. Nice. And on the 4th of February, it's going to be a really great episode. We're going to finally sit down again with the director and creator of the Plot Against the President movie, Amanda Milius. In addition to that, we're going to have North Carolina 4 House Representative candidate Tony Cowden. He's really big in the uh, shooty-shoot community. He'll be joining us as well. Um, Friends of the Week, some of the usual suspects, the Real Brenda accounts, the Silent Meme Majority. Dumbass Photoshop, Madam America, Dank Elvis, Midnight Mitch. If you haven't followed that account yet, you need to immediately. I've been sharing it a lot on our socials. Click the link. I always share the links. Get on that account and give them a follow. What I mean to say, period in between each word, Truth on Draft, the Duke of Memes, shared a lot of his content this week, Mr. Sublime and Slime, and of course, they came back with a couple videos we shared last night, our good friends, Pubertos. Guys, between now and next episode, do a few things. We only ask a couple of them. Try to do them the best you can. Number one, do your own research. Today, you heard two of the most qualified meme experts on social medias right now weigh in on a lot of the hot topics in the news. It's probably because they don't only make memes, but they do their own research regarding these topics as well. Start a podcast because scheduling, even when Amanda Milius reschedules late and you have to reach out to people like Cash Patel, Grand Old Memes, and mostly people memes on short notice and see if they'll come on your show to bang out a Friday banger, takes no work. Easy money. Easy money. In addition to getting about 20 audio clips together and cutting them off for the show as well. And we'll be breaking down the Trump rally next Tuesday. And I'm pretty sure that he'll say between now and then, our last thing, let's see what happens. This has been episode 99 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. And on behalf of the pod team, I'm Roan. Noah? Later. Have a great weekend. Antoinette? Ciao, guys. Have a good weekend. Fabulous job as usual. Thanks for listening, and take care.
does the administration say, you know what, this strategy isn't working. We're going to change strategies. Six former administration officials last week wrote that open letter urging the administration to change course, to change strategy. Is it time? It is time for us to do what we have been doing, and that time is every day. Every day it is time for us to agree that there are things and tools that are available to us to slow this thing down. Don't. What the hell am I looking at? When does this happen in the movie? Now. You're looking at now, sir. Everything that happens now is happening now. What happened to then? We passed then. When? Just now. We're at now now. Go back to then. When? Now. Now? Now. I can't. Why? We missed it. When? Just now. When will then be now? Soon.